Hey everybody! Welcome back, finally, to another episode of Fantasy Tavern. It's me, oops, it's me as usual, just already fucking shit up here in the fantasy nook. It's me, Marita, aka Chiquitita. In case you didn't notice, we're getting festive as fuck this month, and I'm really excited about it. It's obviously the holidays, and this month is going to be all holiday content. So there's going to be a few different episodes. Today's episode will be focused on none other than our favorite childhood holiday shows. And we'll also be having an episode on Christmas traditions or holiday traditions around the world at this time of year. And we'll also be doing an episode on Christmas music. As if I haven't heard enough of it already this month and last month. We'll be doing an episode on some of my favorite Christmas songs, Christmas type ambiance and aesthetic sort of setting the mood for your favorite events. And this very special array of treats that I have to show you today as part of the kickoff to Festive Holiday Month, which, once again, I apologize for it being a week late. I have mentioned this a little bit in past episodes, but got a seasonal job, got thrown really quickly into everything, into the very, you know, hectic holiday schedule, working very long days, not having a day off, and also working my other job at night, a few times a week. So it was very hard to find time to take care of myself as a human being, let alone do the podcast over the last little bit. So I decided that the episode I was going to do initially, which was the apocalypse episode, which was supposed to be the last November episode before all of the holiday themed episodes started. I shelved that for now. We're going to come back to that in the new year. If there is a world to come back to for the new year, We'll see. I think that'll be a good episode to kick off 2023 with. And I didn't want to just put an episode out there without it being ready and me not being prepared enough and just putting something out there just to have an episode out that week. So apologies for not keeping you guys posted on what was going on with all of that. But that was the reason. I was just really, really busy and wanted to make sure that we have some quality goodness for you here on the podcast. And it, I am already chaotic enough in my delivery of this as it is. So I wanted to just focus on the holiday stuff that I already know a lot about and don't really have to do too much more research on. And I can just sort of add my commentary in and we can have a, a little bit more of a fun time with it. And we'll go back to the depressing apocalyptic shit a bit later. So we're going to start off. First of all, we aren't drinking a ton on this episode this week, just because I don't have anything in the house because I haven't had time to go buy anything. Uh, I did, however, have time to go buy weed. So there will be some weed in this episode. And that'll just be what we're doing this week versus having alcohol. So I'm happy to report my lungs are, are mostly back to normal. I'm still having a little bit of have a bit of congestion. But for the most part, I no longer have a ton of runny nose sneezing there's I can taste food again things are things are going okay I think on one of the last episodes I 
I may have said that I never drink porter. However, I found one that I actually really like. This was supposed to be just for the Apocalypse episode, actually, but I cracked it open now. And the Apocalypse beer that I wanted to get for that episode was called The End of the World. But they didn't have it at LCBO. And this one I just got because I really liked the can. But uh, it's not really in keeping with the theme of the episode today or anything. I just really liked the can. It's called Siren. It's looks like that's the... Oh, Siren is the name of the brewery. Sorry. Siren Craft Brew and Broken Dream is the name of the beer. It's called Breakfast Stout, which is great because we are filming this in the morning. I have not a full day off. I have most a most day off. I have to go in and work tonight, but I have most of the day to relax. So we're starting things off really early today with our breakfast stout. Maybe that's why I like it better because it maybe it's a little bit lighter for, for morning drinking. This has coffee and then, you know, some of the other normal things you've got in your normal beers. And it's really good over ice. I This one I'm drinking just straight out of the can. It's a lot more, you know, smooth and flavorful than a lot of porters I've had. You really get a lot of the of the chocolate in there too, which is really nice. So I might turn in the, in the colder months, this would definitely hit. I'm not going to lie. So I would recommend this to everybody. Once again, shout out to Spirit Leaf in Burlington for hooking me up with some holiday treats. And I'll show you a couple of the things I got here. We got this vape cartridge that I got called, just called, just called Ness. Something Ness. I guess you're supposed to fill in the blank on what your Ness is. I don't know. And it's a eggnog flavored vape cartridge called London Nog. It is actually fantastic. I had it charging earlier, so it's in the living room. I had to take it out because I had to use my USBs for other things for the podcast right now. So this one, definitely recommend if you're a fan of eggnog and holiday flavors, then you can pick one of these up at Spirit Leaf. I'm enjoying it. It's a gram cartridge, 860 milligrams of THC and 2.2 milligrams of CBD. So it does have some CBD in there, in case you're wondering. It's very nice. And I haven't cracked these ones open yet. I've, I was kind of trying to wait to see if I can try them out with somebody first. Or when I'm, you know, in the mood to have some uh, alone time. But they're sex gummies. They're, they're edibles specifically designed to enhance your sexual experience. So they had one called Lust and one called Thrust. So I got the one called Lust. Uh, these are cherry and rose flavor. I can't tell you what they taste like because I haven't opened the package yet. And I can't tell you if they're effective. But um, I'll keep you posted. If another human being wants to do sex with me uh, in the future, I will try them out and let you know. Or if I'm feeling like having a little self-pleasure, we'll, we'll see if that enhances the experience, I guess. So we got those. Uh, some really nice joints. I'm not super strong. I like that they rolled them and then do like the packed tip versus the 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 you know the standard twist tip. 
I feel like it lights it and burns it a lot more smooth and like evenly. So that's what we're going to be enjoying today as part of this episode in just a moment. But before we do that, as you may have also noticed, I am decked out. I am don- I have donned my gay apparel <laughs> and I'm really excited to show it to you guys. I also have, as you may have noticed, the festive swag. This was supposed to go on our door, but I bought it and didn't realize that the hook that they included with it was not long enough to go over the door and then close it. Also, I think the way that the hook is shaped, it's like not going to close properly. So I have to go and buy a door hook, a proper door hook for it. But it's now being used as decoration for today's episode. And I have a few more decorations and some early Christmas gifts. Well, I guess not so early now. It's pretty much should have already been done. But I do have to still buy for pretty much everybody on my list. It's not a very long list, thankfully, but I, I do need to do that. So I have a few things that I want to show to you guys. And these are all courtesy of Retro Festive, which is the holiday store that I'm working for this year. And just kind of randomly came up as an opportunity. I am working with them for, I guess, till the end of this month doing warehouse work. So I do order processing. So basically just printing labels for packages, stacking skids, helping to load and unload trucks. I pick or help to pick orders occasionally. You know, if, if I happen to be caught on the showroom floor and a customer figures out I work there and they ask me for something, I'll, I'll help them out. Um, some restocking, not not much. Pretty fun. I would really like to work there year-round if I could. <laughs> I, I grew up with a lot of pop culture and a lot of Christmas obsessions in my household, so it's definitely right up my alley in, in terms of work. Uh, and so that is a really nice opportunity that I managed to get. And in addition to that, I get easy access to all of the cool shit that they sell and have picked up a few things. I'm trying not to just respend my whole paycheck back into the store, but it's been a little difficult. But I have picked up a few things. It's a really cute little shop, and they also have online shopping, so you can go and look for everything before you go in person, or you can purchase online and have it delivered to you. But you always know you're going to get, when it comes to my family, things like socks and underwear and like candies and, and stuff in your stocking hand lotions, sanitizing stuff, all those different things, mints, gum. And then the main gift will always be like a big surprise. I think I'm off to an okay start. So this is going to just be my bag where all the gifts for everyone else fill up. I have another couple weeks to finish. So I, I feel confident and I'm, I'm planning on buying everything at Retro Festive for gifts this year pretty much know exactly where I'm going for everything so it's not a huge it's not a huge headache having to go to a million different stores trying to get stuff for everybody. And I want to show you guys my outfit. I was trying to debate on a sweater to get myself. I wanted to wear something at the store that was a little bit more festive and we have a bunch of the ugly Christmas sweaters and things like that but when I saw this when I saw this frosty the snowman sweater it was a done deal. So this sweater, it's super cute. It's got, you know, your little snowscape. It's got the Santa flying overhead with the music notes. 
<laughs> We've got our guy Frosty here. Really relate to Frosty the Snowman. We're obviously going to be talking about Frosty the Snowman in today's episode. Frosty drip. When I actually wear it in public, it won't have stains on it, so just relax. I was eating my breakfast. I was eating my breakfast slash brunch while I was doing chores, and I may have, I may have gotten some fr- some something on Frosty there, but I guess you can't really see it from here, so I think we're good. And then the last thing I got, as you may have noticed, is this toque. I got this on a day where it was really cold, and I was just in my feels about temperature that day for some reason, and I just did not want to go outside without a hat. So I'm I'm looking around the store trying to figure out what hat can I buy that's like you know not supremely obnoxiously holiday that I could get away with wearing as a normal hat, possibly. And I found this one. And it just so happens that there's another secret hidden feature of this hat, which I'll show you. It helps you get lit. Oh my god, it's amazing. So it lights up. And it also has different settings. So if you want to have the lights be crazy lights, you can have the lights be crazy lights. If you want the lights to be, um, where is it? Be flashing, steadily flashing lights, you can have, you can have your steadily flashing lights. If you want your lights to just stay still, then you can have just your stay still lights. Oh. How nice. How festive. Be the life of the party with your light-up hat. And if you want to do like a low-key holiday outfit, this would be a great choice. It's just the, you could just do the hat and nothing else. You don't even have to turn it on. And it just has the lights on it. Or you can have the extra, the razzle-dazzle in there, which is kind of cool. One of my more frivolous purchases, but... You know, sometimes you have to buy something that is just for funsies. Uh, I'm going to take that off now, though, because I'm a little hot. There we go. I may have left the heat on. It is a pretty cold fucking day out. Fuck the energy bill. I like being toasty and warm in my house. So, uh, made me have a knot. Okay, that's the extent of all of the special gifts. I was thinking... That if I can get the podcast up to a certain number of listeners, I may do a festive giveaway. So I'll have some information about that coming up this week. Uh, just trying to boost viewership and things like that. So I think that it would be a good idea to have a little giveaway in the spirit of giving this time of year. But it, we will be doing some kind of giveaway. And in regards to the decorations, the ornaments that I was supposed to be making was supposed to be knitting and the hats and gloves and scarves that I was supposed to be knitting. Uh, as you may have guessed, <laughs> yeah, none of that's happened. None of it's happened. Like, absolutely nothing. I haven't even started decreasing the hat to finish the hat. I haven't even started any gloves or socks or mittens and zero ornaments. Zero yarn has been purchased for ornaments. So I highly doubt that's going to be getting done now, especially because Christmas is so close now. I don't know if it makes sense to even bother making them now because I was kind of making them for sale, but I can still do it as well to do it as, as a giveaway. So I might do that. And of course I need ornaments for my tree that I'm eventually going to get. So they'll get made for that. 
side hustles have not really, <clears throat> unfortunately you need time to do side hustles. So if you already have two jobs and then I would try to throw in a third side hustle and still clean, see, as you can hear, clean all my laundry and get all my chores done and still have some semblance of a social life and see my family um, and get sleep and eat properly. All of these things that have not been happening. I had so much junk food last week. I never want to see a McDonald's burger ever again. So much Timmy's, so much chicken for my work because I had nothing else in my house. So I just been ordering food for my work. And so I, I don't really have a real excuse for why the things didn't get done, but that's kind of a, a reasoning as to why they, they got, they didn't get done. But anyway, we've now found a little bit of time, <clears throat> excuse me, to do the podcast that is going to put things a little bit back on track. And that's just, you know, thing, things get busy, people get busy, things happen, but you want to make sure that you're putting your, your best face forward and everything. Oh, and then finally, before we get the episode started, we have this week's sign referencing the homeboy, the homie Frosty, based on his iconic line in the cartoon, when he comes to life. Happy birthday! Happy birthday, Frosty. Happy birthday, Jesus. Uh, no, actually, it was Frosty. The reason, for, Frosty is the reason for the season. <laughs> Merry Frosty Miss to you. My brother and Frosty. Because it's basically when when the dark magic inside of the hat possesses the snow, turning it into a sentient creature in humanized form, uh, Frosty, upon being given the gift of life in this very strange moment, I'm not sure if it's like the soul of a, of a long past person or some kind of curse where this person has been trapped inside this hat. They really don't go into too much detail about it. However, Frosty, upon being awoken from his dormant slumber, cries out happy birthday because he's being born and becomes self-aware. So we know that Frosty is aware of what a birthday is. He's aware of the concept of birth and the cycle of life and death. But there are so many unanswered questions in Frosty the Snowman, which we will be exploring in this episode, since I know you've all been dying to know out there. Um, we're going to be going through a lot of your childhood favorites and potentially rooting them a little bit. I'm going to be poking a lot of fun at them because there's a lot of things growing up that as an adult, you're calling out in these cartoons and animated claymation, um, what have you type shows. Phobos. Should I let in the cat out? Okay. Guys, I'm going to go let in the cat out. He wants to be part of this. Oh, cat Come on in, bud. Hi. Uh, you want to be part of the podcast, you bud? Include me, the cat, the Christmas cat. Just interesting that you came in just at that moment because I also happened to notice your cute little stocking. 
that I'm going to put up very soon. Cats love Christmas too, especially when they get treatos in the stocking. And Phobos is a very spoiled boy, so he's going to get many treatos in the stocking. I have a little bit of a Christmas thing. Uh, well, it'll come out a little bit more in, in the episodes as we go along, but I grew up with a family that was very into Christmas, to put it mildly, and um, it, it honestly is one of one of my favorite days and one of my favorite times of year. It's also a very difficult time of year for me mentally, so there's very conflicting feelings, but there's a lot to keep you know your spirits up and a lot to to be joyful for and and you do get some time off from you know your your job and and you get some time to to reset and reconnect with people but there's also a lot of people who this time of year are are assholes a lot of people who don't deal with stress well there are a lot of people who screw others over at a very significant time of year and don't think anything about it Ebenezer Scrooge comes to mind that sort of that sort of energy yeah so it can be a time of year that a lot of people don't really enjoy also not everybody has family and friends that they can be with uh during these during the time of year so it can be very lonely for a lot of people that don't have like the same sort of stability and and network that some of us are very fortunate to have so I'm hoping that these episodes will bring a little bit of happiness into your life and and maybe help you feel a little less alone. It'll help you, if if anything, inject some humor into your life and, you know, maybe provide some nostalgia for you for a lot of these traditions and, you know, reoccurring shows and movies and themes that we see every year and just kind of offer like a, a funny and fresh perspective on it. So, without further ado, we'll we'll go into the episode. Now, I'm not going to be relying on the Kato book too much this time. I'm basically just going to be going into kind of like a top 10 cr- children's Christmas cartoons and kind of do my, my take on that. I think that it's pretty, you, you all, I guess, would pretty, if you grew up in, in North America especially, are going to know the gist of what I'm talking about. So you'll kind of have that to go on, but uh, I'm going to just look into some just brief synopsis, the little synopsis of what each episode is, or each show is about. They're not really episodes anyway. So it's basically like the whole, uh, about an hour, I think usually is the length of time of these things. We've got, a lot of reoccurring themes. There's a lot of heavily Christian influences on a lot of these shows as well. So kind of unfortunate, especially considering that, you know, how a lot of what Christmas is presented to us as all of the religious aspect of it is not really present anymore. It's all very commercialized, very heavily pagan influenced more so than it is Christian but they do find a way to sort of like weave that into a few of these shows. Frosty is an example of where that doesn't happen. That's a good way of kind of just keeping it winter themed. 
And even just going the full way with the paganism, we're just going to put magic in the cartoon too. So that's something that, again, I'm going to try and leave Frosty to the end because it's one of my favorite ones. I want to try and keep that at like the top of the list. So let's just go through my list that I found here. Top 10 Christmas cartoons. And we'll just kind of go down the list here. We're going to talk about some of the popular ones. We're going to include both TV shows and movies in this conversation as well. We're also going to include as part of cartoons, actual like drawn animation, as well as uh, claymation and puppetry, because those are very important. We've got a lot of back and forth on what is at the top of the list. There's going to be some some lesser known ones based on what I watched as a kid as well. So there is there are also a lot of songs that we'll touch on again briefly in the Christmas music episode, but we'll cover a lot of what the ones we're going to be talking more about. Phobos, are you kidding me right now, bro? He's trying to jump up on the ledge. One second. Cats. If you want to do that, you have to ask me. Oh, there you go. Just coming in here and causing problems. Man. Okay, anyway. So this list is, I feel, the most credible list. This is um, from Screen Rant, and it's based on IMDb's top 25 best movies. So, like, when I talk about Christmas cartoons, most of what we're seeing as the part of, like, the Christmas cartoons are technically considered movies, not TV shows, but I'm going to talk about, I guess, some of these cartoons are actual movie movies that that have been in theaters and stuff like that, like, produced as movies, And others were, like, made-for-TV, put-on-TV Christmas movies. So that's what I mean when I refer to, like, the TV. It's not, like, a a show per se. I guess it technically is a movie. But that's how we'll distinguish that for the purposes of this. Just going down the list from the bottom. We can't talk about any Christmas movies without talking about Disney's A Christmas Carol any any of Christmas Carol movies for that matter, really. Before uh, we get into this too much, I'm going to spark this up. Take a little more extra drink of my beer. Christmas, A Christmas Carol, of course, Charles Dickens' classic story of holiday cheer and hopefulness for the future in the face of greed and capitalism. More topical and poignant as ever, um, basically we have Ebenezer Scrooge, this like Jeff Bezos wannabe who is, has no qualms about firing people, docking their wages, and just generally being a piece of shit on Christmas. He doesn't even celebrate it because he is always working. And because of his actions, especially this time of year, he is visited by three spirits who show him the past, present, and future of the holidays 
and show him his impact on people's lives and also the error of his ways in treating people less fortunate than him so poorly, especially at Christmas. And it ends with him, you know, having an epiphany, becoming a a nice person and enjoying the holidays with the people he's wronged and, and trying to make amends and everything. So we've had a lot of different iterations of A Christmas Carol recently spirited which is a live action movie which I won't really talk about then but I'm going to talk about it in the next episodes because um, it's a musical so I really and it is a really great movie but so I really wanted to address it Uh, it's basically if Scrooged were a musical so if you've ever seen like that Bill Murray version of A Christmas Carol it's very similar to that so um, we've also got A Muppet Christmas Carol uh, which uh, obviously is going to be on this list as w- along with a Disney Christmas Carol. I know it's technically live action, but I said I was going to include puppetry, which is Muppets. So I'm going to allow it. But, you know, like a special shout out to the Disney one. It's not terrible. Um, it's just not a Muppet Christmas Carol. It, it, there's never going to be a better version of a Christmas Carol than a Muppet Christmas Carol. There aren't going to be better songs than in that movie. And... There's never going to be a better Scrooge than Michael Caine. Prove me wrong. You can't. So it's basically, uh, technically, this version of A Christmas Carol, that's Disney's version, I'm going to gloss over it only because it's, I, I think it's technically, it's live, it's motion capture. So it is still technically a cartoon. It's a, it's a little bit of a darker version of the a Christmas Carol, but I kind of like that, honestly. This came out in 2009. Scrooge, played by Jim Carrey, does does is definitely a contender. Like we've seen, the, we've seen the Grinch as a character actor. He really can do no wrong. Been a little batshit recently in the news, but you know what? I'm still team team Jim. So basically, he presents. It's very Count Olafy. Um, he presents like a very sinister and scary version of, of Scrooge that I think, you know, might, might be a little much for kids, certain age, but it's also been heralded as one of the most accurate versions of A Christmas Carol that's out there. So I think that it deserves a watch. It's honestly got... Not just Jim Carrey, but just all sorts of amazing performances all around. It is obviously available on Disney+. Plus. I would highly recommend that you check that one out. Um, I'm up at Christmas Carol. I can't say enough good things about it. Just, like, I've never been so invested in a version of the Chris- of a Christmas Carol that is has non-human... Well, I mean, obviously there's humans controlling the, the Muppets, but, like, that has non-human characters. And... Just such a, like, just, just such a heartwarming and heart-wrenching movie. Like, you're going to laugh, you're going to cry, you're going to sing so much. The Muppets was a big part of my growing up, uh, The Muppet Show. And so I really feel like you can't really have done it any better than A Muppet Christmas Carol. I think it's really, it's, it's sort of, again, a bit of a Christian-influenced story. But it... We, obviously, like, they're, they're celebrating a Christian holiday. There's themes of, like, ghosts coming from the afterlife, the concept of heaven and hell. 
the concept of, you know, paying for paying a price for your bad behavior, the chance to see what what life could be like if you're a different person, just so many things that have so many meaningful messages that come out in this movie. You know, being selfless, especially if you have a lot and other people's don't other people out there don't like the legacy you leave behind, really. And and you're going to leave like if you're going to leave a legacy of of people who never liked you and couldn't wait for you to die. And all you care about is your wealth and how to get as much of it as possible and and take it away from others and exploit people. And then there's the the other opportunity for you to 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 give and be compassionate and realize that your actions have a much greater impact than you think and that not everybody can can operate in the same way as you so and not everyone has been given the same opportunities and abilities in life as others. So it's a very nice story and just those two versions of them that should be I think re- recommended watching at at this time of year for sure. Oh yeah, I forgot about Rise of the Guardians. It's on here. It's not exactly a, a Christmas movie. It it features a whole bunch of different holiday like creatures and and people, but um, it's kind of like a like sort of a, a Avengers type like superhero take on the Santa Claus origin story and sort of like origin story of different holiday mascots, I guess you could say. Um. That one wasn't bad, actually. I like that. It was kind of cool. Of course, there is Frosty on the list, but we're, we're going to circle back to... We're going to circle back to Frosty. I want to keep that one. And this has reminded me of... There's also another Christmas Carol cartoon from the 70s by uh, Chuck Jones, who is a very famous animator. It's, it's very short, but it's, again, one of the more accurate... You get the you get the really cool like old school animation style working for you there, so that's another one that you can. Um, oh, and it also won an Oscar for animation. So, I mean, check it out. It's it, add it to your Christmas Carol viewing if you want to watch all the different versions. So now we're gonna get into oh my god, Tokyo Godfathers is on this list too. Oh my god, that's gonna be at the top of the list. I forgot about that movie. I didn't think it was going to be on this list. Holy crap. We, we're getting into some of the of the claymation sort of stop motion. It's, the, it's like the Rankin-Bass holiday lineup of movies. So back then, you had like uh, Rudolph, you had the little drummer boy, Santa Claus is coming to town. Um, I think there's that one, The Year Without a Christmas or The Year Without a Santa or something. With um, Snow Miser and Heat Miser. I think they did all of those. Yeah, it was called The Year Without a Santa Claus. They actually did Frosty the Snowman too. But most of the stuff they are known for is stop motion. Jack Frost. There was also a... I believe there were like... There was a Rudolph... There was a Rudolph sequel as well. The Complete Collection. Let's see if I missed any. Uh, I'm just trying to list off all the ones that I remembered off the top of my head. The ones I forgot were ones I've never seen. 
Oh yeah, there was also a few titles missing on the list. There was a there was a there were a couple Rudolph sequels, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the Island of Misfit Toys, Rudolph Shiny New Year. I think there was another that was called um, Frosty Returns. There was a there was a sequel to Frosty the Snowman. They were the the sequels were also they weren't included because they were technically outsourced to other studios. They weren't made by the original Warner Brothers or Universal. And Santa Baby, I haven't, which I haven't seen, uh, is the only first and only Rankin Bass special since 1985's The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus. That was when they had like the last one. So they have they didn't have anything that was like specifically from Rankin Bass again until after the 80s. Sometime in like the the late 90s, 2000s. So Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And, and to give you a, an example of um, how popular this animation style is. And how reminiscent it is of Christmas aesthetic. Um, the Nightmare Before Christmas, which is also obviously going to be on this list. We're going to talk about it as one of the greatest cartoons. It uh, also uses stop motion animation. So there, there's... Rankin Bass has made this connection between using that style of animation and you uh, you're automatically knowing that like that's going to be your Christmas vibe that's the Christmas aesthetic. So um this is uh anytime so anytime uh, another type of film company animation company wants to riff on like a Christmas themed movie or parody a Christmas movie or cartoon they'll generally use a stop motion or like claymation stop motion animation style to achieve that sort of effect um i know community did that actually they had a a special that where abed is obsessed with christmas and nobody else really cares so he like traps them all in a stop motion animation world where they they all become different uh christmas toys and then they have to like go through the land of Christmas with Abed. They, there's a very deliberate reason why they ch- chose to switch them to animation. And not only that, use that specific style of animation because that's automatically going to tell you, Oh, this is for sure a Christmas movie and a Christmas cartoon. We'll, we'll start with Rudolph here. Um, I mean, Rudolph, I guess should be a little bit higher up on my list. It is definitely a classic. It is, it is for sure one of my favorites. But it's also one of the movies that gets roasted the most by adults and parodied a lot because of some of the some of the themes and questionable delivery of of messages in the movie. I think the joke that gets made the most about Rudolph is the whole oh I just noticed that the light is like completely out on this now. Those batteries really did not last very long, did they? What's going on in there? No! It must be the batteries dying. I guess uh, just a word of warning if you're going to buy this. The USB is definitely going to keep your battery going a lot longer. Um, the uh, tri- the AAAs did not last the entire episode, so... Sorry guys, the serotonin's going away for a while now. Just back in the bag there. We'll figure that out for next time. I need to, I guess find more USB ports for future episodes. Yeah, so the 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 songs in the in the movie are very iconic. 
you know, you, you've got Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen. You've got Silver and Gold, which is one of my favorite songs in the movie. Island of Misfit Toys, Herbie and Rudolph's little song that they do together there. Uh, Santa's uh, Jingle, 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 Hear those sleigh bells ring. I am old Kris Kringle, I'm the king of jingling. Ho, ho. That's my favorite, one of my favorite ones. I want to say that Rudolph's little girlfriend there. Clarice has a nice little song too that I remember. Um, yeah, Rudolph. L- Herr Rudolph. <laughs> um, so uh, the uh, the extremely Nazi sounding names of all the reindeer side. Let's get to some of the other problematic parts of this cartoon. Um, we've got the joke that everyone makes about Rudolph that everyone basically treats him like absolute dog shit until they need him for something. And then all of a sudden he's everyone's best friend and the hero of the day. But like not two seconds ago, you were all calling him a mutated freak and shunning him from your reindeer society. Even Santa Claus did this. Um, So, and then you send him off into the wilderness to potentially be eaten by a Yeti the abominable snowman gets get buried by an avalanche, shot by possibly by a, a prospector, or stranded on the island of misfit toys. But no, he overcame adversity. He did it without all of you, and then he came back. And all of a sudden, once Christmas was in danger and no one else could rise to the challenge, oh, all of a sudden you want Rudolph around. Oh, all of a sudden he's just this. He should have walked the fuck out of that door and, and and said, you know what, fuck you and fuck Christmas, and never looked back. But no. Rudolph has undergone so much trauma, and all he wants is to be loved and accepted, that he just, he does it. He does it. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to, he did that for us. He saved Christmas for all of us. And yet, uh, it, it, so basically it kind of touches on, you know, these themes of, like, exploitation traumatic family bonds do people actually like you or do they only like you when it's convenient for them that sort of thing you could all you could sort of go into that whole thing of of christmas and holidays as a whole right like it's a it's a season where you you put on a lot of appearances and you you have to kind of like be this person who gives gifts and hosts parties and hosts dinners or else no one really wants to be around you. And then a lot of people who can't, you know, fulfill those roles, they aren't as, they aren't as accepted. And I feel like that's also, you know, uh, speaks to bigger themes of like we were talking about in a Christmas Carol about capitalism. You know, you have to be productive and, and you have to be productive in the way other people want you to be. So Rudolph was only valuable in the beginning when he was able to be productive just like everybody else like every other reindeer on the squad but because of this one difference that you know as they showed could very easily be covered up and not be an issue for anybody but just the knowledge that it was there was that was the issue for people the knowledge that the production could be jeopardized by this or that just the knowledge that you're different. And so, but then all of a sudden when what they consider to be this like disability and this like horrendous disfigurement 
turns out to be something that's useful to everybody, he's expected to just forget all of the horrible treatment because they're allowing him to be a productive member of society again. And that's what we all are supposed to want as members of the working class is like the, the, the honor and the privilege of being allowed to be disrespected, but yet allowed to work. I know a lot of you may be saying, Oh, that's reaching. It's just a fucking cartoon. But, but listen, that this is very important, especially when you get to the Island of misfit toys, it's the same idea. He, he finally finds somewhere that he thinks he's going to fit in. Uh, same with same with Hermie, right? So you've got your um, your elf that's like and that's very like to me very queer, queer coded as a character, um, and he doesn't want to be an elf. He wants to be a dentist. Um, so because he doesn't produce the way that is expected of him, the way he's supposed to, he once again is not given a chance to, to pursue that dream. He's not nurtured. He's not given any opportunity to get, get better, get any kind of research into that. They're just like, no, if you're not going to produce as an elf, which is what you were destined to do, then we don't want you here. You're just going to be a nuisance. So, and in the end, they realize that not, not only is Santa not providing anybody here with a dental plan, they're going to need to figure out their union shit and get their dental. And who's going to be their dentist? They like, do, like I'm assuming that everyone there just lives on a diet of candy and snow. So their teeth must be fucking horrible. They've been needing a dentist for a while. Uh, not to mention, um, as far as I remember, I'm pretty sure it's Hermie that that pulls everyone's the the abominable snowman, the Bumbles, teeth all out. So that again, he's he's not he's not seen as useful until it's in crisis, and then all of a sudden he's required, or like until until I guess a new opportunity presents itself. And then all of a sudden they're invited back to participate. So, but it's like, why do we have to get to this moment of crisis or like massive upheaval for them to be accepted? It's kind of like a a backwards story of acceptance and, and overcoming adversity in a way. It's sort of, it's sort of a little bit of a veiled, you're supposed to accept abuse because eventually people will be nice to you. You just have to wait it out. Sure they might sure they might make you fuck off into the wilderness for like a minute, but you know, that that's just that's just par for the course, I guess. And then when you've gone and figured out everything and had your character development and your soul searching, and then you're just supposed to come back and, and you know, do everything the way that you were expected to before. With this, with the very same people who very recently claimed they they didn't want anything to do with you, but in a way, it's nice because it shows like if you're if you're true to yourself, you can find like minded people in the world. Like Rudolph and Hermie find each other. The Island of Misfit Toys gives Rudolph kind of a sense of like, well, as much as I'm, it's sort of like a, again a double sided thing because like as much as it's great to find the other misfits in life that you can relate to. It's also not really fair that you were all outcast from society and have to go live in this completely separate place. 
I don't know why he didn't just stay on that fucking lion, flying lion. I'm gonna look it up. I mean, that seemed like a pretty, like, like that seemed like a pretty sick deal. His name is Moonracer. The thing is, because the reason he can't live on the island, as far as I remember, is because he's not technically a toy. There, there is a, so just so you know, because there's a, a wiki for everything on the internet, there is a, there's a website called Fandom that has a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer wiki. In case you're curious about looking into this more, he's, a, sorry, Flying Lion is technically known as a griffin in mythology. This griffin happens to be the ruler of the island of misfit toys, King Moonracer. He flies around the earth looking for unwanted toys and takes them in. Yes, that's the other thing. So, like, yes, he flies around looking for these misfit toys. And then, basically, like, they become subjects in his monarchy. So, I mean, is it really that great of a life? Like, I don't know, do they have to pay taxes to him? Like, do they have to, you know, like, bend the knee and shit in order to, like, be on the island? I'm not, it's, it's not really, it's not really fully explained what King Moonracer's political alignment is, but, you know... We're not really for monarchies around here. But yeah, let me go back to that article and finish. Um, it's basically the reason that Rudolph, Hermie, and Cornelius get to the Island of Misfit Toys. And Rudolph and Hermie want to stay there. But because they're not technically toys, he can't let them stay. Now, my question is, is King Moonracer actually a toy? Um, I don't fucking think so. So I really don't get how that works. But we're just going to suspend our that hypocritical disbelief for like a, a little bit because I that uh, it doesn't really say in the wiki. It says he is a winged lion, therefore n- not a toy, unless I'm missing something. So I don't like he's li- him and Rudolph are literally animals. So I don't understand why he would say that. Anyway, and also considering that Rudolph has a a light up bulb on his nose, he's some sort of. He's got some sort of electronic shit in his body. I think that kind of classifies him as some kind of a toy, possibly. But anyway, a, what the what they end up doing in the end is um, he gives them somewhere to stay for the night. And they promise that they will let Santa know about this island and that people are rejecting toys because they're different or don't perform the way that they are wanted to or the way they're supposed to. And so they become neglected and shunned. And this is very much something that Santa Claus needs to have responsibility for. That's something that in the end, you know, there's a bit of a happier resolution for the uh, the toys on the island. But that's another thing I never really thought about is that that whole weird thing. It's like, just fucking let him live there. I don't understand. <laughs> And and then it's it sucks because then it's like not even the island of misfit toys will accept me. Wow, I must really be a piece of shit. So that's a little sad. Again, we're we're gonna just I, I, there's some reaching potentially happening, and I know it's just a cartoon, but that's another thing I wanted to to address. I also do enjoy that that there's no fat shaming. That's that's the that's one of the positive notes of the movie. We see some some nice thick boys and girls in the. Uh, in Yukon Cornelius and uh, Mr. and Mrs. Claus. Not so much end, not until the end with Santa Claus, obviously, because Santa is going through a bit of a, of a stress-induced eating disorder. Mama Claus is constantly asking him to eat, 
and he won't do it. And then at the end, he finally gets the, uh, you know, this the second win that he needs, the inspiration that he needs, and he he tickens up again and becomes the the fluffy Santa Claus that we know and love. So that's a nice part of the movie. We're encouraging we're encouraging healthy eating. We're encouraging bigger bodies, which again is why it's so interesting that you know we're doing that, and then Santa's like fucking rejecting a reindeer because they're different and it's like bro you are you you live on a diet of milk and cookies and are a very large man like why are like you need to not judge people (laughs) based on how they look okay we're all accepting you santa claus so i don't know why you can't accept rudolph and then when you lost a bunch of weight and looked fucking anorexic again nobody judged you they were just concerned about you they just wanted you to eat some food so, you know what? Santa's kind of a dick in this version of events. We're not a f- huge fan of Santa Claus in this one. There's a lot of movies out there that sort of, you know, deal with that. The whole idea that Santa is not the most jolly character that we know and love. You know, Santa is is seen in many things as like the sort of immortal, magical being. And, you know, has these powers and has this like very wholesome image and you know they always pair him with a woman they like so like he's a wholesome married family man that's Rudolph those are some of the you know criticisms but you know some of the more positive things about the movie but yeah the songs undeniably amazing even back in the 60s like for its time it's just like a massive stop motion animation is, is always a very massive undertaking but it was like very very groundbreaking for its time, and it's uh, something that people will still use and reference to this day. It's a nice overall. It's a good message of you know overcoming the overcoming you know being oppressed and being misunderstood, finding a way to prove to people that that you have value. And that's really one of my favorite messages of anything. That's why I like it's a wonderful life so much. You know, like which again isn't a cartoon. I won't go into it too much right now. Um, that'll be for another episode that's probably going to be like the christmas episode i'll do like a another a live watch or something like that of it's a wonderful life i feel like it's a wonderful life because i love it so much just needs to be its own episode honestly it's one of those movies that i watch every single year so yeah maybe we'll make that into its own separate episode but just just going off the theme of it's a wonderful life too like just the impact that one person can have on so many other lives and to just never lose sight of the fact that every human being can have value in some way, even though other people may not make you feel that way. And you have to remember, like, Rudolph's just really isn't really that old, isn't really supposed to be that old in the movie. So, like, you've got this young person, too. Like, so when it happens to you when you're very young, it can it can make you very jaded and hardened towards the rest of the world. So I think it's really important to remember to always have that sense of having value yourself and not always trying to to get it from others because yes it's nice when people validate you and and make you feel useful and wanted but um as we've mentioned that can be very empty and very conditional and situational so i think it's really important to try and have that for yourself first and foremost so that's that's pretty much rudolph in a nutshell 
that's one of my favorites. But they're, again, responsible for another really great movie called The Year Without a Santa Claus, which I'll touch on briefly. It's got a lot of really catchy music as well. Obviously, feature it features once again a depressed Santa Claus. This seems to be uh, something that they've they've used a couple times. So it sounds like what happens. The gist of this movie is Santa Claus decides to just fuck off and leave Mrs. Claus and some of the elves to try and figure out fucking Christmas. So Santa's like, "All right, I'm just gonna dip. So I guess figure it out or something." And then I guess they figure it out. And so this is, I guess, where the snow miser and the heat miser come in and try and fuck with everyone and fuck with everyone's Christmas weather. But they have one of the greatest holiday songs of all time. It's like a very like show tuny kind of burlesque sort of like, you know, you've got like your hat and your cane and your and everything like doing sort of like the big band vibe. I think that that's, a, if anything, from that movie, the Snow Miser and Heat Miser number. Those, that's the greatest. Oh, and of course, I can't, I can't leave off Rudolph without talking about Sam the Snowman, voiced by the iconic Burl Ives, who is the basically, like, one of the voices of Christmas. Yeah, honestly, that Silver and Gold song, that's, like, one of my favorites. He just has, like, that's just that, like, very nice, like, Uh, comforting smooth voice and they just kind of like turn him into that very like sort of you know proper non-threatening old snowman definitely at the top of my list for sentient snow snow people 100% with his little cute little vest he's got a little hat and his little like mustache goatee going on he's he's a cute just like his sort of narration and commentary on everything is quite is quite funny. As the things are happening, he's getting affected by like the cold weather. He's getting mad about stuff. He's getting like scared. It's really funny, just like the way that they did it. Definitely good top tier holiday watching. So again, with the Christmas Carol, we've got Mickey's Christmas Carol. We talked about Disney's A Christmas Carol. We talked about the Muppet Christmas Carol. It's a it's it's more of a short than a full movie. That one is really good too. Oh my god, Klaus. That was such a good movie, actually. Oh my god, so good. But we're going to talk about we're going to talk about the other stop motion animation that we uh, are going to touch on here. We're going to go into a bit of a deep cut after that, and then I'll take a little break and then we'll come back and talk about the the last of the top the top movies that uh, cartoons that we're going to discuss. There's going to be Frosty, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, of course. Uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas, obviously cannot leave that off the list. We're also going to have a couple uh, non-Christmas specific cartoons on here. We're going to talk about a few different things that um, have come up recently in terms of you know Christmas-related stories that I think are still very important to share. And uh, so we'll be covering those. So going back to A Nightmare Before Christmas, a lot of people my age, not just the Dis nerds, but just like people who are into kind of like goth and like a darker aesthetic, really like A Nightmare Before Christmas. It's also a bit of a non-traditional Christmas story. 
um, because it kind of combines a, a fun, bunch of other different holidays with Christmas, as well as presenting a Christmas story that's a bit more of a creepy and dark, not the flashy, festive, constantly upbeat sort of story that you will expect when you're looking at like children's cartoons. So it's very much a movie that can be enjoyed by all ages. Just something for people that are looking for a Christmas option that's, you know, not super traditional. So the stories following two opposing holidays colliding. So it starts off with Jack Skellington, who is the spokesperson of the Halloween land that they exist in in the movie. So based on how it's sort of presented, there's some sort of like portals between the real human world and Halloween world, as well as like other holiday worlds. So like, you know, Easter, Thanksgiving, St. Patrick's Day, what have you. Um, And you have the ability to cross in between all of these different realms and worlds and things like that. So it's essentially, they're constantly always planning for the next Halloween, I suppose in like the mayor's case, it's more of a thing for him, but everybody in this, in Halloween town is always excited for Halloween. So like as soon as the Halloween's over, they're planning again for the next one. You've also kind of got the side story of Sally and Jack's love interest and sort of her kind of weird origin of how she was created and brought to life and, and sort of the weird uh, scientist guy that she basically like is owned by. What happens is Jack's having this, having sort of like a depressed moment. He's going through some sort of like self-awareness and some, a bit of ennui, if you will, about the whole Halloween situation saying like, like, what's my purpose? Like what, like, it's not as exciting anymore. And it's not, it's not really, you know, the math ain't mathin'. It's not, it's not hitting the way it used to hit. And everybody's sort of like a little worried because again, again, no one ever really questions anything. So to have this character, like whose entire life is Halloween question, what that all means to them gets people a little worried. I'm going to go back quickly just to get the proper synopsis for this because I'm, I'm going off of the, just the neighborhood for Christmas. He is, yeah. So, so he's stuck in a rut. Basically the point of their existence on Halloween is to go out into what is considered the real world, the human world and scare people. And if they scare people well enough, then they, you know, their purpose is met and they can continue having Halloween town. But Jack is very, he, he's, he's done this all before. It's just not, it's, it's, he's not getting the same motivation as he usually does to, to carry the, his mission out in life. Through a series of, you know, events, he ends up getting stuck in Christmas town, which is Santa's domain. It was nominated for an Oscar actually. It won a whole bunch of different awards, mostly for the the visual effects and the and the score. So some great some great songs. Most notably, Jack's realization when he when he goes into Christmas Town, where he's like, 
what's this? What's this? There's something in the air. Which has been parodied as like, the fuck? The fuck? The fuck is in the air? The fuck? There's white shit everywhere. The fuck? (laughs) Which is also a very funny song. So Jack is now infatuated with this whole idea of Christmas. And he wants to now not only possibly follow this path, but also tell everyone in Halloween Town about it. As you can imagine, it doesn't go over well. This also, you know, brings some of his, you know, relationships with people into question. Kind of plays off of the sort of theme we talked about in Rudolph, where it's like, you're born to do a certain thing. And what happens when you realize that not only are maybe you're not necessarily good at that thing, but maybe you are really good at something, but you, like you just have no interest in it. And you know that that's not the path that you should be following in life. Or, you know, even even though you you may have had interest in it, it at one point, people don't always do the exact same thing for their entire lives. Some people just don't want to be limited in that way. Or like we're, I was saying before, motivation changes, get stuck in a routine, and things just get boring. Not just like an exploration of like what your different different options might be in life, but kind of just an exploration of like, you know, I don't want to be fit into this box my entire life. Maybe there's something that I can pursue that's not what everyone else is doing. So Jack the Pumpkin King of Halloween Town getting hooked on Christmas. He thinks that the best solution to transitioning to being a Christmas-based character instead of a Halloween one is to kidnap Santa Claus and take over his job. Not having, knowing nothing about what Santa Claus really actually does, has really no clue of really how to take over the role. And then Santa goes to the care of Mr. Oogie Boogie, which again is one of the best songs in the whole fucking movie. So, so good. You're joking. You're joking. I can't believe my eyes. You're joking me. You gotta be. This can't be the right guy. He's ancient. He's ugly. I don't know which is worse. (laughs) It's so good. Again, sort of like a little kind of cabaret, like that sort of deal. Very like giving Hades town vibes. That's, and and just, uh, I can't say enough good things about this movie. The animation, the the songs, the the way the, the movie's written, like it's very rewatchable as a movie. It's a little bit cringy that like a lot of um, toxic, problematic couples have taken Jack and Sally as their like um, example of couple goals. Um, that might be my one criticism of the movie and Nightmare Before Christmas franchise. The same way I, I get a little feeling icky feeling about when couples like idolize the Joker and Harley Quinn. Just kind of not a not a good vibe for me. Uh, it's definitely a red flag in some respects. But um, I think that overall, it's it's a nice like departure from your your basic Christmas movie, you know, as something that, and like I know that Tim Burton has had his criticisms recently as well. But you know, in in the golden age of Tim Burton, that was still happening, they they definitely knocked this one out of the park. I I will say, not not. Not as much now debatable on whether or not it's a Christmas movie. I think it's been pretty much accepted now. You you see a little bit of Sally's progress in the movie and sort of her 
her role in kind of helping Jack and helping to get everything kind of back on track. Oh shit, Paul Rubens. I didn't know Paul Rubens was one of the voices in the movie. I did not know that. Oh, Catherine O'Hara as well. Oh shit. See, I didn't know any of these things. You don't really think about who's doing the voice casting when you're younger. Uh, Chris Sarandon, of course, who's uh, an iconic voice actor, but Chris Sarandon um, was the speaking voice for Jack, and Danny Elfman was the singing voice, and Catherine O'Hara played Sally. She's basically like a Frankenstein's monster type creation where Jack is more, I guess, what you would consider to be like, not not that really the Grim Reaper, I would say, but like sort of that sort of that idea, but more of like. A, I'd say more of just like the head, the head scaremeister of the of the town. He, don't, I don't think he really kills anyone. He just like very seriously scares them. Oh, and Catherine O'Hara also voices Shock, one of the trio of Lock, Shock, and Barrel, who work for Oogie Boogie. Paul Rubens is one of the other ones, and Danny Elfman is the third. And so that's, that's cool. I love learning about stuff like this. I did not know that. That's really cool. Soundtrack. Amazing. There uh, was a cover album, Nightmare Revisited, that Disney released in 2008, where a bunch of different artists did covers of all the songs from the movie. What's this? Kidnap the Sandy Claus stuff. <laughs> like, I can't stop singing the songs from this. Like, it's actually so good. Yeah, that's going to be on your watch list for sure. So, yeah, so basically what happens is um, Sally and Jack's um, relationship, like Sally, it's kind of secret in the beginning. She's also kind of like uh, an oracle. She has like premonitions about things. She already knows that this venture by Jack is going to end really, really badly. And she is trying to get him to stop it before it's too late because Jack's idea of Christmas. So instead of really just accepting it as, as it is, he basically compares Christmas to what Halloween is and decides that it needs major overhaul. It needs to be completely revamped and improved. And this is one of the reasons why he he decides that he's the one that's up for the task, hence the kidnapping of Santa Claus. And basically kind of, it's kind of an interesting comment on religion and colonialization, I guess, if you want to think about it like that. Okay, this holiday exists, and it's it's great and all. It's all, it's all, but you know what would be really good? If I just, if I just made it like what I believe instead, if that, if, and, and I'm, it's okay, I'm just going to do it. Uh, no, shut up. I'm just going to kidnap you and, and just take you out of the picture. And then I'm just going to replace myself as the god. Because I know how to do it better than you. Even though I've literally never done this before. Jack, you know, maybe maybe don't try and co-opt other people's um, beliefs. Especially when you have no fucking clue what they're actually about. And try and take over the job of somebody else that you don't really understand. So that's an interesting way of looking at it. So then he goes to back to Halloween Town and basically just like says, okay, you're all going to be part of Christmas now. He starts assigning people random jobs, tries to, uh, Sally tries to go and rescue Santa, 
to try and get him to get back to his job, but then she gets kidnapped as well. And then there's a whole thing that happens there. Jack's version of gifts are way too scary and dangerous for actual children to have. And also, you know, the idea that he is a literal skeleton man flying around in a sleigh pulled by skeletal reindeer might might be a little bit shocking to people. So the the, the humans in the real world decide to contact the military to shoot him out of the sky. So in this version of events, like the, the human world is very aware that Christmas is real. However, they're not exactly sure if this is like a a human doing this, I think, or, or, or a spiritual, like, non-alive being. Either way, they don't want to take any chances, and yeah, he, his shit gets rocked. Like, he gets, he gets nuked, and <laughs> he lives. But yeah, he's very, he, he realizes that he kind of messed up. He basically gets, like, a reality check from this. Like, how could I have messed this up so badly? Why doesn't anyone love me and, and love what I'm doing? And so I, he has this kind of realization of like, what have I done? In my selfishness of trying to reignite my passion, I basically steamrolled over my entire town, another entire town, the town of the real world that he visited briefly, anybody who he had any kind of relationship with. So he now has to then go back and do damage control in enough time for Christmas to still happen. So of course, as we've seen that happens and in Christmas gets saved and him and, and Santa have uh, a reconciliation and at the end he even gets the girl. So it's a nice little wrapped up in a bow ending for our, our protagonist, Jack. I won't really say uh, he, he goes by to from being the hero to the anti-hero and back again. So he goes through a lot of a character arc in this. And so I think that, again, that's something good to be said, right? Like you've got somebody who's kind of like, he, you've got good intentions, but they're kind of rooted in like a selfish, a selfish wish to shake up your life. Whereas, you know, sometimes you have to realize how that's going to affect the people and things around you. And that it's not just about you. And I think that's an important message to have at Christmas that, you know, you're not just a singular person. It's not just an, an individual. At this time of year, we have to really remember the rest of the people out there, our communities, our family and friends, the people that we interact with, even complete strangers. We can all have this effect on each other. And the, the main thing to remember at this time of year is that we're supposed to all, you know, be together and work towards a common goal and be be loving and caring about each other and, and not always put our own interests first. So it's a really good way of kind of taking the ideas of Christmas that were already there and then kind of just putting a different spin on them. And I think it, it was a really, really smart move like, you know, just creatively, but also financially to have a movie that's going to appeal to people who are obsessed with two different holidays. You've got your Halloween crowd and your Christmas crowd all flocking to see this movie. In addition to like anybody who's into Disney movies already, into musicals, 
into, you know, the goth and the spooky aesthetic, into creepy shit, just like people who are into Tim Burton stuff, just people who are into like different animation styles. It's it's something that I think that was very, very smart, very well planned out in terms of being both a critically acclaimed and a successful movie box office wise. And like the number, one of the number one things that you're going to see both at Halloween and Christmas time is Nightmare Before Christmas merch of all kinds. We've got, I, I was surprised we didn't have more of it at our store, honestly, but it's, it's very, we just actually, we just got in this amazing Nightmare Before Christmas coffin backpack. It is like, really really cute and it's got like purple flowers on it it's really sick if that were more my style I would totally buy it or if you're a collector it's definitely something to to look out for but yeah so we've got there's so much Nightmare Before Christmas stuff now and there are things that you can enjoy and it's a movie that you can watch not just at this time of year but at Halloween and like any other time of year so really, really genius in terms of, you know, just the, how many demographics that this movie resonates with. I don't really have much else negative to say about it, to be honest with you. I think that it's just a, a really marvelous movie. As somebody who loves musicals and show tunes, I'm very, very about it. I, as much as I love the good OG traditional Christmas stuff, I also really like when things are done differently. So this is very much... Uh, sort of the a good antithesis to um, so much just like traditional red and white sparkly light and and everything's just like all joyful and 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 upbeat and perky all the time so not everything is is so nicely wrapped up in a bow all the time the last one I'm going to talk about before we take a little break I've already done two hours we got to wrap this up a little bit in, in a shorter amount of time. I don't want to, again, exceed the three-hour mark. In, in tr- staying true to form, we're going for, th- for a three-hour episode because I'm kind of just rambling. I'm going to look up one more movie that, in my opinion, never gets shown on TV and never gets talked about a lot. And it's a movie that I remember from my childhood very vividly. I'm going to share it with you guys. It is called Blue Toes the Christmas Elf. It's a movie from 1988. And it's based on a book called Blue Toes Santa's Special Helper. And it's actually premiered on CBC and later aired on the Disney Channel. So it looks like this may have some kind of a Canadian origin story, which is kind of cool. I'm going to see if there's a wiki for it or just an IMDb. Let's see here. Yeah, I don't think there's a a wiki for it, weirdly. But I'm going to look it up here on IMDb and see if there's... Or no, here's the fandom one. Sorry, I found it. It's here. I knew it was going to be here. Fandom's got everything. If it's not on wiki, if you're looking for fandom, it'll just be on the, the fandom site. It's Christmas Eve. Everybody's getting ready. But there's, again, we're going back to the story of kind of like the odd person out, the misfit, the outcast, kind of like the mess up. So we've got an elf who is a little too young and a little too clumsy and a little too inept 
to really help out. It kind of goes to that whole, like, again, you need to be able to act exactly the same way as your counterparts. Otherwise, you're not good. If you can't keep up, you'll, you'll get left behind, which is very much how the world works. And it's not always beneficial, though, because, again, it's, it's taking into account that everybody's the same, uh, has the same abilities, and the same understanding of things and, and progresses at the same rate. So it's not really, uh, oh, Ben, ben Mulroney's one of the voices in this. Damn. Okay. It's been a while since I've seen this movie. So I remember we had it on VHS. And we watched it for a while. We watched it like every single Christmas. It was one of my favorite Christmas movies. Here we go. Let's see if it says it here. Yeah, like so basically he does they just call he doesn't even have a name. That's how insignificant this elf is. I'm gonna just kind of base it kind of off off um what I remember until I can find the synopsis. So like this elf is so kind of just a no name. So they call him small one. So small one is yeah, it's Canadian animation. It, it kind of following the usual trope of everyone is a dick to them until they do something extraordinary and now everyone likes them a lot of people are talking about how they're glad that they came online and found proof that this movie existed and it wasn't a fever dream because i feel like i never see it played anywhere and basically the reason he's called blue toes is because he ends up finding like the poorest kids who don't get anything for christmas or like, like santa misses or something and he uses his own socks and shoes to give these kids stockings and presents for Christmas. Because of this, he he can't go anywhere else after he does this, so he's in the he's in the cold, freezing, and when he's finally found, he has blue toes cuz he literally gets frostbite because he gave his socks and shoes away. And I'm literally like crying talking about it. It's like fuck's sake. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm a mess. I just like stories like that, okay? I like when people are nice. I like when people give all their shit away and are selfless and give shit to poor people, okay? That's what Christmas is all about. I liked convincing myself that Santa doesn't just love the rich kids, okay? Like, just give me this. Let me have this. Fuck's sake. Such a fucking pussy. And then, obviously, he could, could literally... His, his toes could literally have gone necrotic and fucking fallen off. He could have gotten fucking gangrene and shit and and or and like extreme frostbite to the point where his, his toes went dead and they had to cut him off and then so then because of this because of his selfless act that leads to him almost becoming permanently disfigured they call that's the nickname they give him they 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 give him the nickname of the horrible condition that he experiences while trying to prove that he's a good elf and then finally they accept him. Basically, <laughs> honestly, the site I just found talking about this movie is absolutely, the, the comments are, are mad. They're hilarious. Yeah, a lot of Canadians coming to the coming to the comments. It's not the greatest movie, but honestly, I'm mentioning it because it's a movie that really stuck with me as a kid. <laughs> this is the greatest comment. <laughs> the title character gets frostbite. 
the jolliest malady in the land, and before they amputate, they create a Christmas tradition in his honor. The tradition of Christmas stockings. With blue toes. Every kid will want them. <laughs> he does manage to achieve some pretty massive fuck-ups, though, so I I mean, I don't blame them for thinking he's he's a loser, but some people get distracted. But, you know, maybe maybe he had ADHD. Maybe he was having a manic episode, and, and you know, sometimes you just, you, you get a little manic, and you, cr- you crash Santa's sleigh, and, you know, shit happens, okay? I think it's important that sometimes if you have problematic things that you do or happen to you in your life, you have the opportunity for some redemption and some vindication. While it does suck that it all, that usually always has to be interpreted through other people's perception of you and their acceptance of you. And it's still nice to have this, to see that, to have that character come around and, and, you know, have that, that change happen in how people perceive them. You know, like, so not everybody is, is problematic on purpose. I don't think that Blue Toes is purposely fucking everyone's day up. It's just, he, he's a little, small one's just a little bit different from the rest. It's an age thing. It's, again, he's, he's, just, he's just a clumsy person. He's got a lot of issues that I think instead of people looking into them and, and actually taking the time to, to help him figure those things out, they're like, just get your fucking shit together. We don't have time for this. And that's in the real world that usually leads to a lot of issues later on in life if it happens to you young just being forced to do something that you're not ready to do or that you're not comfortable with and made to feel inferior by everybody until you just you fall in line that that never usually ends well i certainly hope that the north pole that seems to be a theme a lot at the north pole in these cartoons where you know people are just treating you like garbage because you're not fitting in with the with the society as it is. I certainly hope Santa's got EAP paying for all paying for a lot of therapy for these fucking elves who may or may not be his inbred children. There's a lot of unexplained things going on up at the North Pole. I'm not really sure what's going on up there. Seems 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 kind of sus, dude. Just saying. I would highly recommend to check out Blue Toes. It's very nice. Wholesome movie. Not the greatest Christmas movie, but it's not a super long movie either. It's Canadian content too, so add it to your list of of required watching for sure. I just realized I just blabbed on for like two whole hours and like didn't really even have anything to drink or smoke. Yeah, I've been trying to like to go a little less hard on the drinking these days. It's that time of year though, so that's it's it's gonna be a little all over the place right now. Like I've been I've been pretty stressed out by both work and just trying to, you know, make some resolutions and some plans for what the next year's going to hold and stuff. That's why I like to escape into holiday cartoons and movies from time to time. And this is a nice return to innocence. Cue the song, I guess. I really wish that I could play songs on this and not have them fucking flagged for copyright. There's so much that I would have actually like so many clips that I would have used and stuff, but I'll just have to sing them to you myself and quote them to you myself. So hopefully that'll get around the the censorship. So now I'm going to quickly take my little break. When we come back, I will wrap up the holiday movies 
and TV shows of the childhood cartoons that we all know and love. So I will take a quick little break and we will be right back for more festivity BRB. Okay, everybody, I'm back. Okay, so let's get back into it. Into the into the festivity. I think I feel like I should put my hat on now because I'm feeling a little chilly. A little frosty, if you will, and I need to pop my hat back on. Yeah, not trying to do that. So, let where did we leave off? We left off at Blue Toes. See what else I have on here. Oh, yeah, I was going to look up one more thing before we get started here. Because I wanted to give some honorable mentions to some non-Christmas holiday movies that are cartoons. The only one I can think of that comes to mind right now is Eight Crazy Nights. Only because we were just talking about it the other day. The Adam Sandler movie that came out. The It's a cartoon about a basketball coach who comes back to his hometown, as far as I remember. It's been a, been a while since I've seen that movie as well. That's the only, like, non-Christmas holiday-themed movie that I can really think of that's a cartoon right now. Because it is actually a really funny cartoon. It's more for adults than it is for kids. But I would say that if you want something that is not as, like, hokey and is, again, with another type of holiday that's not all Christian Christmas shit. He gets in trouble with the law and the judge decides to let him do community service as an assistant ref for a youth basketball league or go to jail. Uh, he's also under the supervision of like the elderly ref named Whitey. Gets arrested on the first night of Hanukkah that's the and and also like you know there's there's reference to the characters and stuff being Jewish so and of course the name of the movie Eight Crazy Nights is in reference to Adam Sandler's very famous the Hanukkah song where he lists off uh, all of the celebrities that we know and love who have Jewish heritage basically with the with the premise that it's for all the kids out there who without a Christmas tree. And he lists off all of these names so that they, they, you know, they won't feel alone. And they'll know that, you know, there's people out there that celebrate Hanukkah too. And they're not like the only kid, like fucking Kyle from South Park on Christmas. You know, not the only Jew on Christmas. So it's a really, really great cartoon. Um, it It's narrated by Rob Schneider. <laughs> it's, it deals with a lot of, you know, dark themes but it also has a lot of, again, that, that recurring theme in these movies about, you know, redemption and validation and, again, all tied into the refreshing take of the Jewish community and what they celebrate versus our, like, overload of Christmas and, and to a greater extent, Christian-influenced holiday fair. So... 
you don't realize until you get older how much of these kids' cartoons are infused with all of this Christian propaganda. As nice as the messages are, it's it's just all that you see. And so it's nice that we have... It's a bit polarizing. Like, some people don't really like the movie, and some people really like it. He's basically... it deal, And it deals with a lot of, you know, things that, for me anyway, like, resonate with me and with, with my family and issues that we've had with, you know, with drinking and behavioral issues, having to, you know, make amends for things you've done in the past, prove to people that they're, you're not this terrible person anymore. You know, getting the, the sort of protagonist, which is, isn't exactly like a hero in the beginning, to kind of take a look at, I guess it is sort of his hometown. Yeah, it is It is his hometown, because he, he starts talking to like a bunch of people in the past, like, you know, the girl that got away, Whitey's whole backstory. And then, of course, like the whole the thing with the Hanukkah thing being kind of infused with this. Um, there's a scene in the movie where he, he he's currently living in a trailer and it gets burned down by by somebody who's mad that he lost a basketball game to him. So he runs into the trailer and the only thing that he rescues from inside is a Hanukkah card from his late parents which you, you come to realize explains a lot of his problematic behavior is, is not having parents and stuff. Whitey ends up taking him in, finds out that Whitey, like, he, he remembers what happened to Davy's descent. He remembers how he used to be, what happened to him, and, but this is, you know, this is too much for him to handle at the time. So he kind of get, goes on a bender. He ends up getting out there out of there just in time. And the, the movie ends well, and he, you know, same things that we see at the end of a lot of these movies. We've got Davy gets the girl, he gets honored by, you know, his his peers. Whitey is there getting his comeuppance as well. He's been waiting for his his special patch that at this all star banquet, and he finally gets it. It's, it's a nice little movie about, you know, having to go kind of, a lot of people have, a lot of us have to go back home at this time of year. Sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes it's not. A lot of us have left our hometowns or stay away from them because of a lot of traumatic shit that's happened in the past or just the, the people we were when we lived there or a lot of the people that still live there and never left. They're not, they're not exactly people and memories that we want to have around us anymore so sometimes it's hard to go back especially at this time of year and have to face all of that so it's important to know that we've got in not just not just you know christmas but we've got hanukkah we've got different people different religions different cultural backgrounds but we're all dealing with the same demons in in very many respects you know like this is again this is a time of year where a lot of people's mental health is in crisis where there's a lot of triggering moments for people regarding drugs and alcohol and having to be around problematic people. There's a lot of stress and worry about money at this time of year, keeping up appearances as, as we talked about before. It's, it's like this person who, because they have no parents, like they, they don't, they feel like they have nothing really to live for anymore. That really affects you know, the, 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 those things that may be important to you, right? Like you don't, you don't feel stressed or 
you don't feel happy about it or sad about it. You just kind of feel nothing. You'd rather feel nothing than something. It's a it's a good look at how you know you don't have to fall into those into those spirals. There's 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 always some people who will go to bat for you no matter how many times you fuck up. And sometimes you you really gotta realize that the chances you get in life, like you really can't squander them. A lot of people don't get as many chances as I I feel like I've gotten so many chances in my life to to improve it and do better with like, you know, the limited resources that I have and with a lot of the the stuff that's happened to me in the past and the things I've had to deal with with my family and and different people in my life who have not been great to me and with opportunities that I realize will will not be there ever for me. But you have to realize that you've then got to go and and make your own way. They say the best revenge is living well. So, you know, the best way to show people that you're not the, pe- the person that you say they are is just going out and, and having a good life. Because I feel like in a sense, like a lot of people just after a while, they don't really think that you should have one. And that's a big reason why people get down, right? Like people don't want to help you. They don't want to support you. They'll sabotage and and jeopardize your life. And so like, there's enough people out there that's, that are going to be doing that to you. So don't go and do that to to yourself, you know? And I think that, again, like he has this realization when he breaks into the mall, when he goes on the bender, he, he never went to therapy and got the proper help that he needed to deal with the loss of his parents and the subsequent coping mechanisms that he uses. And, and, and in the Hanukkah card, the, all the flashbacks of everything kind of like meeting up, right? You've got the religious aspect of it. You've got the the knowledge that your parents will always think that you're a good son no matter what in this case. So you've got kind of like your 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 ties to to your religion and your culture. You've got your ties to to people that you're you'll never see again, but you realize that they're always going to be there in some way in your life. Like if you even if you don't believe in the concept of like there's people up in the sky watching over you and and things like that, you're you're always going to know that you're going to find these things like a card for example that that'll remind you of of the path that you should be on and to remind you of the of who who you can make proud most of all you make yourself proud a good holiday movie and something that is not specifically christmas so i wanted to make sure that i mentioned that one that's a really good one i like it i think it's cute obviously whitey's an iconic character quite a few snl people Adam Sandler does the voice of a few different characters, including Whitey, Davey. Um, as I mentioned, Rob Schneider is the narrator, and also he does the voice of a Chinese restaurant manager. I didn't say the movie aged well. Some of these movies do did not age well. I did say this wasn't really a movie for kids, but uh, yeah, maybe he shouldn't have had, maybe shouldn't have done that, um, Rob Schneider. But anyway, we've also got Kevin Nealon as the mayor of Dukesbury. Norm Crosby, John Lovitz, Tyra Banks, Dylan and Cole Sprouse, Carl Weathers. Damn, there's a lot of people in this movie. And a lot of the Sandlers come in at the... Aw, oh, that's nice. Yeah, uh, Judith and Stan Sandler are actually in the movie, which is kind of cool. So that's nice. Something that's not, something that's not always Christmas. 
it can get a little exhausting. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've been listening to Christmas music without headphones in at my other job for like weeks now. And it, I'm fi- it's finally starting to break me. We still need to talk about Charlie Brown. We still need to talk about Frosty. We still need to talk about... Oh yeah, Klaus is on this list too, which I really wanted to talk about. It's actually a really, really good holiday movie. There is a little bit of, again, a, a bit of a subversive message in this movie. So... For If you may or may not know, there is the myth or legacy of, of Santa, I guess, whatever you want to call it. I guess it depends on who you ask and like what, what spirituality or religion you subscribe to and what country you're from. But basically, it's like the whole idea of St. Nicholas or St. Nicholas, um, which was shortened to Santa Claus, which is actually pronounced Klaus. Uh, which is a short form of the name Nicolaus. Um, so the idea is that St. Nicolaus was the saint, patron saint of children and poor brides. So in addition to providing poor brides with their dowry, which back in the day was generally like, it was like a, a monetary or material type of gift that the bride's family would like bring on behalf of the bride to the groom's family to show that they were wealthy enough essentially to allow the two families to marry. So it was like a, a, a display of their wealth. And, and also it was kind of like, in a way it became sort of equating what the, what the bride was worth to, to whatever the dowry was. Right. So it's like your bride is worth like, some cows and some goats and a bag of gold or something. So unfortunately back in the day, a lot of people who couldn't afford this dowry just didn't, just didn't get married or they didn't, they wouldn't get married to like the family they wanted, I guess. So say the, the idea is that St. Nicholas would come along and find these poor brides and make sure that they got hooked up with the dowry so that they could get a ring put on it and not be poor anymore. And his other role was to help poor children. So the idea was that St. Nicholas would come around with money and food and toys and stuff, and he would leave them for the good children. So this is where we sort of got the idea of, um, it started out as leaving your shoes out, but it kind of turned more into like, leaving a stocking hanging as well so that they could get filled with gifts. And then that became what was known as the modern day stocking. And that was all you got at one point. It was, all you got was what was in that those shoes or in that stocking. And of course now Christmas has ballooned into this massive thing where we are exchanging like actual gifts and multiple gifts for multiple people. And they're super expensive and elaborate. But, but back in this time, St. Nicholas like wasn't giving out super fancy shit. It was just stuff that people needed a lot of times to survive or just something for the kids to do because they were just so poor that they had nothing. This is kind of where the idea of St. Nicholas came from. It was like Santa, Santa was giving out just toys, toys and gifts and food to like the less fortunate, most specifically children and women of Mary, Maryable age. So it then turned into Santa as a 
as a judge of character and morality at some point. I'm guessing it was the, the fusion with Christianity that did that. And it became also more of a thing where it's like Santa will not only bring the good kids good gifts, but he also will bring the naughty children bad gifts or no gift. So that whole thing kind of came about. So this movie is kind of based in that European tradition of of the original idea of Saint Nicholas. It is the idea of of a of a Santa's little helper. So you've uh, it, this movie is also available on Netflix and has pretty good reviews. So I'm going to just do a quick synopsis on that. Basically, he starts out as a postman. What was originally Spanish, it stars um it has the voice actors from from the U.S. as part of the the voiceovers for this. This was also Norm Macdonald's final film role released in his lifetime. It also features Jason Schwartzman, J.K. Simmons, Rashida Jones, Will Sasso, Nita Magretha Laba, Sergio Pablos, Nor- and Joan Cusack. Yeah, it's it's based on Saint Nicholas of Mira, but it's it's like an alternate origin story for for um, for Klaus. So this is basically the we're taking the origin story is based in Norway in this time. So a lot of like Europe and including like Scandinavia, Germany, Poland, certain parts of Eastern Europe, like they've got a, they've got this sort of Santa Claus origin story, and then it then kind of spread to other areas of the world. I believe Saint Nicholas of Mira was originally Greek. Or Turkish, so it it even starts way even back before that. This was like a very early Christian saint, and so I be- yeah, it's Greek descent. From there, it then spread out to other areas of Europe. So in this particular movie, we're talking about Norway. It follows this guy named named Jesper Johansson. I suppose is how you would ask, actually pronounce it. He is part of the Royal Postmaster Academy. I guess he's basically like the the spoiled fuck boy of like the dad who runs the the postal service and he is so inept and so i guess his dad's like well you can go to the academy and and i guess since like you're clearly getting in because of me but and you need to have a job you need to like get your shit together if you can't do even do that then i can't trust you to take over my family fortune and run this which is a essentially a, a business and so he basically is th- threatened with being cut out of the will and the family fortune, essentially, if he fucks this up. They decide to post him to, like, a very small town. He only has to post, like, a very small amount of letters. He finds out that in the town there's, like, kind of two rivaling family clans. A lot of people aren't even writing letters out there. So even though this is not, like, a huge task generally... They sent him somewhere where, like, people are not spending time writing letters to each other. So he he already knows, like, he, he kind of has been set up for failure, in a way. He is searching for people all around around this town, and he comes across Klaus, or a.k.a. Santa Claus, who is kind of like a reclusive hermit toy maker, slash woodsman. Like a big, tall, like, beefy, muscular kind of Santa. He's just, like, a big dude. Essentially, what happens, this is where the whole origin of Santa Claus, if you write a letter to Santa, he will read it and give you a toy comes from. He wants to cheer this kid up, so Klaus 
being a toy maker, he makes Jesper bring him to this house, and then he leaves a toy for this child. Again, this starts to spread through this whole small town. All of these kids are going to Jesper and, and saying, is it true? Is it true that um, this picture or this letter got to Klaus and then this kid got a free toy? That's sick. I want that to happen to me. Perfect for Jesper because he's like, this is amazing. I can hit my quota. This is fantastic. Jesper delivers them in secret and everyone believes in the whole idea that like Jesper's got this main line to the the big red suit guy and he's going to hook them up with all the toys as long as they write these letters. This doesn't exactly result in things that the parents are super jazzed about because as I mentioned, there's like these rivaling families. So the kids are starting to like get these toys and then they're starting to play with each other from the rivaling families, which the parents are like not cool with. They see the letter writing going on and then also Jesper works in the whole myth to the story where he tells the kids that they're only going to get the gifts if they write the letters and if they're good. But if they misbehave, then they're not going to get anything. So this also inspires the rest of the town to do really good things for each other. And it causes these families to like end their generation centuries long feud there was a school that used to be in the town that shut down which resulted in a lot of the kids being illiterate so they could barely even write the letters they were like getting help with all of them and everything so they eventually have the school to reopen so the kids learn to read and write so many good things are happening in this town in addition to Jesper doing his own thing Kato what are you doing I'm trying to tell a story Oh, buddy. Oh, no. Oh, my friend. Okay, I'm back. I think it's time to spark this joint up. The freaking cat threw up, and I had to deal with that. He just threw up, like, um, like the most massive, like, snake hairball I've seen him do in a while. Yeah. He's okay. But, of course, his timing is not great because I was in the middle of doing something. So, but that's that's all resolved now. But I think it's time to, to do this. Where was I? Ah, uh, I see. Jesper's little scheme. Klaus can't keep up with the toys. They start running out. And Jesper's trying to get him to, to build more. He ends up building a sled for another girl who lives in a very isolated settlement outside of the main town. This is when Klaus reveals to Jesper that he used to be married. There used to be a Mrs. Mrs. Claus. The reason he had so many toys to start with already built is because he had meant to give them to their future child. But the child never happened and his wife died. He kind of has this renewed sort of spirit about the whole thing. He decides that he will help Jesper with his continuing his scheme because he now basically sees all of the kids he's helping as like the kid he never had. And he's having such a great time in this small town that Jesper doesn't really want to leave. 
if it, whether or not he achieves his goal, he kind of just wants to stay now because he's getting a lot of a lot out of this too. It kind of all backfires when his dad then shows up. He he congratulates the son. This is after the townspeople help him to achieve his goal because they don't really know the selfish motives behind him having to reach the target. So they actually help him post like thousands and thousands of letters way way over his his quota. Then when his dad arrives on Christmas Eve, he kind of lets it slip that he's the son of the of the postal service magnate. That kind of leads the angry mob of the the parents and the elders in the town to destroy all the Christmas toys because their feud gets reignited. They realize okay, Santa's not not really like as real as we thought. But apparently the children know that this is going to happen, so they actually alert certain people in the town, and then Klaus helps to replace the toys with, like, not real ones, I guess, with something else. The reason that the feud finally ends is because of love, of course. Two people fall in love, Romeo and Juliet style, from the opposing families. They all learn to love each other and get over their super ancient feud that they've been having, and... Jesper get the girl and he decides to to stay there because he's happy in the end Klaus just literally like I think like walks off into the sunset or like follows the wind or some shit and we never see him again so you're left wondering is it that he's he now feels fulfilled and can move on from this town does he like go off to unalive himself to like be with his wife a feeling that he's fulfilled his purpose or was he already unalived or possibly some kind of a a magical creature or magic person and he kind of knew this was going to happen all along it's it's kind of a cool ending to the story and so then obviously he tells Jesper keeps the story alive and every Christmas knows that Klaus is going to come back. So he gets, and then the whole letter writing thing is still a thing. He knows that not only is he going to deliver toys to this small town, but he's now responsible for delivering toys all around the world. It's nice to know that it's based on these sort of like pseudo historical facts. So there's like a long history of Christian celebratory practices and things like that. A lot of what we know as part of Christian celebration, same with Easter, is rooted in in non-Christian, pagan, and naturalist traditions. There's another offshoot of St. Nicholas that I remember reading up, up on once upon a time as to why red and white were the colors of Christmas. It has to do with magic mushrooms. We're going to do a little offshoot on that story now because I just remembered that. There's a few sources online here that link to some historical studies of the idea of Santa Claus. The idea of Santa having magical powers and like people seeing him flying through the sky with reindeer in a sleigh, this is based on magic mushrooms and also explains the the colors of Christmas being red and white. So that's why a lot of people say that um, and this also comes from the Nordic countries, Scandinavian countries. Um, this idea that like Arctic shamans would f- 
would travel through the snow to, to different people. And the gift that he gave was drugs, guys. <laughs> um, and as I mentioned that now, I just remembered I have, I'm going to dump everything off of this tray right now, but I have this really super cool Christmas. Um, it's really dirty. So I'm going to just wipe it off. Um, this really cool, it's from Ikea, a little tray thing that I usually just use as like my junk tray and like my weed rolling tray sometimes, but I just remembered I fucking had this. Look at how incredible this tray is. So we've got our little badger friend just getting absolutely spaced out, absolutely just mind melted on some magical mushrooms as you can see there's a little key hanging off the mushroom and a hole on the mushroom stalk stem that i guess goes into the magical mushroom house or is that like a symbolic key like the mushrooms are the key to unlocking your higher self also got some him wearing like a cute little santa hat and decorating a tree and there's also a there's also a weird, like, bird on it. There's, like, a weird, like, exotic bird on it, too, looking at an acorn. Uh, whoever designed this clearly was using some of the mushrooms as, as some inspiration to, to draw this, like, absolutely insane picture. Uh, and somehow it all works. Uh, what else is in here? Yeah, I think that's, I think I covered, I think just about covers it. <laughs> Yeah, this is one of the better finds from the thrift store when I worked there. Never letting go of that one. That's the story, one of the many stories of the origin of Santa Claus and Christmas and gift giving. So what do you do when you have a lot of something? You share it. There's so many things that they say are like how the entrance of the shaman's yurt was a hole, which is where Santa coming down the chimney comes from. There's also some some reference to like, the Druids, um, Germanic and Nordic myths talking about Wotan, Odin, all these different things. This all changed in like the 30s. In the, uh, they kept the color scheme, but they took the drugs out, the coke, and they, they turned Santa into, into just a jolly, non-denominational guy who then turned into the Santa we all know and love in general. Which, so so we have Coca-Cola to thank for that. It's possible that this entire experience was all just a mushroom-fueled fever dream that Jesper had. We're, we'll never really know. Maybe it all started started when he went out to that isolated community with that sled. That's when he got the shrooms. We just didn't see that part. Oh, and also it says here, the toxicity of the Amanita was, when ingested, is high. So before they taking it, they had to dehydrate them on the branches of the pines. This is where hanging ornaments comes from. And then a second possibility is to put them in socks and put them, it, hang them in front of a fire on your mantle, which is where hanging Christmas stockings comes from. I'm learning so much. See, this is an educational podcast as well as a pop culture podcast. We're doing a historical deep dive now. We're not even talking about the cartoon now. You're going to be seeing cartoons once you eat that shit. You don't need to have a TV show. That's what they did when there was no TV and no cartoons, no animation. You just 
you know, ate all the shrooms. And then you just saw that shit in your mind. It was all just happening in front of you. Going back to that, let's move on to our next to our next movie, cartoon. Cartoon movie film. Can't talk right now. Let's see here. We're reaching the end of the list. Charlie Brown Christmas, of course, and How the Grinch Stole Christmas are on here. So we're going to talk about those. And then we're going to go into Frosty. This is going to be a really difficult episode to edit. This has all already been like almost three hours. And I still have three more cartoons to fucking talk about. Guys. <laughs> the holiday ones are going to be the long ones, okay? The nights are long and so are the episodes. That's what we're going with. I'll just mark it the fuck out of it, I suppose. Okay, so. A Charlie Brown Christmas. Also from the 60s. It sounds like the 60s is really when just all of these cartoons peaked, and it just never really got any better than that, did it? Based, of course, on the Charles Schultz Peanuts characters, pretty much required viewing, mandatory viewing, because it's now considered... Oh, and Rudolph, too. It's because not only are they, like, classic Christmas cartoons, movies and TV shows, but they're also... Now that they're not only just, like, classic, but, like, there's so much, so much licensed merch and products and things in addition to just watching the show so you can buy like peanuts everything that's not only just like regular peanuts but now there's a whole thing just related to the charlie brown christmas movie this is one of the ones as well that has the most overt christian references from what i remember i will never forget that scene with linus where He's on stage and he's and they're like, uh, and Charlie Brown's like trying to direct the the Christmas pageant and like no one's paying attention. Everyone's just like do 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 like dancing around doing the thing, and nobody's like, and Charlie Brown's like, can someone just please tell me what Christmas is all about? And then Linus like goes up on stage and does like the fucking biblical passage, and he's like, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And like when you're a kid and you, and I guess when you're growing up Christian, you you see that scene and you're like, I guess as a theater kid too, and you're like, oh, that's nice. And then later you're like, what the fuck? That's like super weird that a, that a kid is like rattling that off just unprompted and then saying like that, like, yes, again, yes, literally, technically that I suppose that is what Christmas is all about, but it's also not what it's about very much. So um, and it's like, I, they do kind of address it a bit later in, in the show as Christmas is a general time to, again, to like give back and help others and, and everything. But it's also very much the, the, the just in your face, just running off that biblical reference, which I don't know if that was Charles Schultz is doing or not, but yeah, that in hindsight, that always kind of creeped me out. I didn't like that. But I, that was like a product of its time, I suppose. Maybe they had to put that in to like make it, or they wouldn't make it on the air or something. I don't know. So anyway, we kind of know the basic story. So Charlie Brown stays having angst as like a fucking second grader or whatever. And is having an existential crisis about Christmas. Goes to the homie Linus. You know, he's trying to get his opinion. He's asking a child who literally, you know, clearly has abandonment issues and he sucks his thumb and has a a fucking, you know, security blanket. 
for advice on how to be a stable human being. But for, for some reason, Linus is clearly like more observant and intelligent than the entire cast of characters because he's not always like thinking about himself or blabbing all the time. He He's the one who's like listening and, and, you know, taking things in actually has the proper awareness of himself and everyone else around him. And just like how pathetic and that they can be sometimes. And just also he, he's, he's just so aware of, of everyone's humanity without being overly judgmental. I feel a lot of the time. It's very much a good thing that Linus is there to to hold everything down. But then you've got him in other scenes spouting off Bible verses at a at their public school again, which I think are, at a, or is it a church? Like I mean, they're doing a Christmas pageant as well. So again, that I'm assuming that also means they're doing the nativity play, most likely, which is you know Jesus, Mary, and Joseph and shit. So again, a, a possible like Christian reference right there in your face. So, but then again, this is what kids did back then. And this is what their, 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 I guess their society and their culture would expect them to do. So it, it is what it is, I suppose. Um, and, and we are talking about Christmas. Like we are going to eventually have to reference some thing to do with Christ, I suppose. It's not all Santa Claus, but yeah, we kind of go into, we, we don't get hit over the head with that right away. That happens later in the movie. We start off with, with our, with our friend, Charlie Brown, Chuck, Charles, it's uh, the first TV special they ever did that was based on the comics. So as we know, Charlie Brown, you know, is going through it. His other friend, Lucy, who has become a psychiatrist at such a young age, finessing the population as a, as a psychiatrist, he thinks, she thinks that he should, you know, break out of his comfort zone and direct the Christmas play. Although it's, it's it kind of becomes more of like, uh, uh, not really him directing it, as we kind of thought was going to happen. Meanwhile, his sister, Sally, who is a greedy little bitch, is asking for his help to write a letter to Santa Claus, which he's like very cringing at because she she just asks for everything. And he's like, wow, you really don't get it, do you? And it's like, just... he He's... Charlie Brown at a very young age is already seeing things like the commercialization of Christmas... Which is a funny comment, ironic comment, because the, the the Charlie Brown Christmas show itself is kind of helping play into that, but without even realizing at the at the time, I guess maybe. But still, he's 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 on board for this doing the the play. He's also encouraged to be more of a take charge, have a take charge attitude as the director. He basically also realizes that the reason Lucy suggested this is so that she can get cast as one of the lead roles in the play. So that is kind of, again, selfish motives for what's going on. And then Charlie Brown realizes that he cannot get a handle on his cast. They're too all over the place. They they won't stay on script. They're all thinking, they're all having creative input and stuff on things. So he decides that um, to kind of get away from it for a while, the, the Christmas play needs a better mood. So he wants to get a tree, but Lucy suggests this fake artificial aluminum pink tree. In the lot, he wants a real tree. 
So they go to the Christmas lot and there's nothing left. So he or everything else is fake. And so they find, you know, what is we now know as the quintessential, like, impotent, like, sad with no, it's not impotent yet. I, I have to, they put the decoration on it first, but it, it's like kind of just very like sparse. It's got very few needles on it. It's on this like really crappy little wooden holder thing. Like that's just barely making it's a very like stick thin trunk stand up. And Charlie Brown's like, that's the one, that's the one right there. And like, this is kind of like, yeah, my sister's going to literally destroy you. <laughs> Like, the kids are going to roast the fuck out of you. But, you know, Linus is a, is a good friend. So he lets he lets Charlie Brown pick the tree because he's like, look, it's we're, we're going to fix it up. I, I like I like a I like a tragedy. I like a bird with a broken wing. Let's take it back. <laughs> he sees a lot of himself in this tree, I suppose. So he he brings it back. Obviously, what happens happens. They all they roast the shit out of him. They're so amused and like just so overwhelmed with with ridicule that they just leave the rehearsal space. Linus literally asks for a spotlight too. I I'm I'm I have the balls on this kid though. Like Linus kind of comes out as like the low key take charge guy. I think he I guess he should have been the one to direct to direct the play. And then literally, he's like, "That's it. That's what it's about." So then he tries to work the tree into the play. Meanwhile, Snoopy is living his best life, being the coolest motherfucker on the face of the planet, Joe Cool, <laughs> and he won a contest for best decorated house. He decorated his doghouse the best and won a prize, and Charlie Brown cannot even get his shit together to buy a proper Christmas tree. He tries to decorate the tree, but it cannot bear any weight, so the one ornament that he tries to hang on it, which, I mean... In fairness to the tree, I'm pretty sure he tries to hang it at literally at the top of the tree and hangs a way too big ornament. So he could have like done just, you know, some tinsel and like a, like some string lights maybe, but no, he decides to get the biggest fucking ball ornament and hang it on this frail ass tree. It, it bends over. He thinks he kills the tree and has killed Christmas as well. And then they realize that Charlie Brown may be unalivened mode like he is that sad about the fact that this isn't going well for him and they realize that okay maybe we shouldn't have laughed at him a thing it's sort of a reversal of the of what we've seen so far of like if you're you don't fit in unless you do something amazing and then everyone loves you it's kind of like okay you don't really do anything amazing ever and we know that's true and that that's always going to be true but you know what? You're you're still cool. You're you're fine. We're gonna be okay with this. We're gonna we're gonna figure this out together. So they decide to. Listen, this is one of my favorite parts of like the entire cartoon. This is one that like they did a parody of this on SNL. I remember. I don't, I'll, I'll never forget this when they used to do those um those TV Funhouse cartoons on SNL, and they had a thing at Christmas where like they did the, they went up to the tree and then they do that little like with their hands and then they make it look like a beautiful, perfect, like triangular full tick tree with like a nice tick trunk with the nice decorations on it, all proper with the star on top. 
And then they've got a, a subsequent thing where it's like, oh, I wonder if that would work if we did it with other things. And then they like go around and like do it to like problematic people and shit. <laughs> it's like really funny. They they take all the decorations as well from Snoopy's doghouse. I mean, he already won, so I guess <laughs> I guess they can take them. So finally, even Lucy says, "You know what? Okay, this didn't you pick just the greatest tree ever?" So even she will be condescending and patronizing enough to to make Charlie Brown think that he is a good person. I'm not saying he's not a good person, but just just not 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 a a sad sack, not a piece of shit person. In his mind. He's not really a piece of shit person, but I think he's very unduly hard on himself. I feel like he thinks that he alone has been tasked with the responsibility of saving Christmas and the true meaning of it at such a young age. And also just like, regardless of age, just the whole idea that you've got somebody thinking that it's just all on them, that they're the one that's going to do it. They're the one that's going to to make everyone see the true meaning and stop being so commercialized and so greedy and, and so self-serving. And, um, you realize that I guess the, all the other kids see that it's like, okay, well, well, damn, maybe we need to step it up. Maybe, maybe we've been hard on him, but he understands better than all of us. He just thinks that, it's it's all his fault and all his responsibility for some reason. And, you know, like, he for, like he forgets to be a kid a lot of the time. He's realized that, you know, the, he's realized so many things about, like, the adult world and about how that funnels down. Same with Linus, really, I guess. But um, it's like the whole idea that kids younger and younger become so so much more like adults than we realize and sometimes that's not always in a good way you've got the whole um like it's a kind of a joke thing that like they're playing at psychiatrist and and whatever and director and like sort of like non-typical things that kids would you know be playing at but they're also like extremely serious about it so and the idea that they like want so much for Christmas or that they, they need like the, the, the most modern tree that is artificial and whatever. And not saying fake trees are bad or anything, but um, I guess it was sort of like a nod to the, and and this is, I guess, sort of a, a, a compliment and a criticism for Charlie Brown. They were sort of, I think in a way critiquing the move away from tradition and the way things used to be, but sometimes that the way things used to be, the good old days weren't always what we remember them to be. And they weren't always the good old days for everyone. As you may have noticed, I mean, I know it's cartoons and animation, but a lot of, a lot of white animated characters going on here that we're not really seeing a lot of offerings with characters that aren't white. We're having a little bit of a, realization that like there was a world an ideal world that I think people wanted and that was a a waspy Christian um Christmas and no other religions no other races were allowed everyone needed to be able-bodied 
nobody was allowed to be overweight um, or have any mental health problems or substance abuse problems. Everyone had to be in a heterosexual relationship of some kind and have, like, the wife and kids to go along with your, like, idyllic Christmas dinner and gifts under the tree and, and whatever. And um, skating on the skating rink, like in the in the cartoon, the skating rink scene is one of my favorite scenes. And it's like one of the moments of the of the cartoon where it's just like their kids be kids being kids. And um, and for a moment, that's like the return to the traditional idea of what Christmas is all about. But um, pretty sure Franklin was the only black person in Charlie Brown. And um, a person of color at all, if I remember correctly. So, and and even even like you know making contro- so called controversial decisions like that. Um, and and I think so. Maybe some of these Christmas um, cartoons are sort of trying to let kids know, like, okay, you should really still believe in the idea that none of those things are actually true. When in, like, the real adult world, they very much were. But I feel like, you know, a lot of the Christmas movies, they're they're trying to keep that idea that, like, kids kids will, will appreciate this a lot more. And we have to try and convince them that there's a world out there where it isn't run by capitalism and, and one religion that rules over all the others and this like false idea of like perfect rich nuclear family wearing the perfect outfits with like tons of gifts and, and always have food and no one ever has any personal problems in within their families or their, their uh, intimate partner relationships or anything. There's never any abuse of people or substances. So you know what I mean? When you're a kid and you watch these cartoons, and, and I guess as an adult too, you're like, oh, maybe there's a world where none of that exists. And we can have a world where people accept others as they are. And we can have a world where we remember what Christmas is really all about. But then obviously we see some of these cartoons that message was not, you know, was not delivered in the greatest way. Or it's got a, a sense of a sense of like interwoven with the Christian religion or just interwoven with a lot of things. And some some of these Christmas cartoons were developed, I'm I'm sure, with the idea that they were gonna get played every single year. So there was guaranteed ad revenue in the reoccurrence of this. And then of course like all the merch that comes out with all of these cartoons now. I was just watching a thing where I'm going to do an episode on this at one point of like um, planned, planned advertising cartoons. Basically, I forgot the exact term for it, but starting, I guess, in the 60s and 70s, they had um, and then and getting stronger and stronger as time went on. We all know that there's been like, you know, blatant ad placement in different forms of media, but in terms of cartoons, like the there was a time when cartoons that came out were literally out because of a pre-existing toy or a toy that they was about to go to market and they wanted to have a coinciding cartoon to go along with the release of a toy or to promote a toy that was already in existence 
So in a way, to have those Chris, these Christmas specials that not only are now reoccurring every single year on, on different television networks that you can watch on our different streaming platforms, but also that you can now go out and buy gifts in the form of ornaments, merchandise, clothing, Funko Pops, like everything you could think of. So there's a this sort of like idea of Christmas being overly commercialized has really this kind of like self fulfilling prophecy, buddy. I know. Come here, bud. You want to hear Christmas podcast too? Hey, come in here, you. Hey, hey, friend. But yeah, it's just a very again a nice, sweet, I- idealized version of what the world could be. And just the fact that children, we shouldn't discount children's level of intelligence and ability to make very important and factual commentary on how the world is. And we should never lose that childlike sense of wanting justice and and fairness and and lack of materialism, lack of selfishness to exist in life. So... I think it's a really important cartoon that has a, a, a you know, a stronger message of how do we make Christmas better for each other? And it's not by laughing at people who have, you know, not the nicest tree. It's not have, it's not writing a letter to Santa saying you want every new toy that's hit the market. It's knowing that, you can can't you make the best with what you have it's knowing that if one of your friends is not doing well then you come through for them so those are really good messages that i think we can remember from charlie brown also it has a pretty great orchestral instrumental soundtrack vince guaraldi so that's always something that plays at our house during the holidays I remember we always had a few very key CDs. I'll talk about this more in the music episode. Obviously, I'm good at getting off off topic again. But that was that was always one of the ones that we had in the house. It's a pretty it's one that's pretty close to me. That's one I definitely grew up watching a lot and have a lot of um a lot of respect for Charles Schultz and a lot of respect for the the messages that you know, he's trying to convey in so many of his comics and in, and in the, the TV shows and movies and everything too. Next on our list is How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Let's go back to that here. So How the Grinch Stole Christmas. How the Bitch Stole Christmas. <laughs> oh my god, I'm okay, ridiculous. What are you doing over there, cat? Blah, blah, blah. Here we go. Yeah, the 60s, really. This shit literally all came out in the 60s. I'm not even joking, you guys. Sorry, I'm just going to take a quick bite of my food that I realized was still here. I did actually make food for this episode. I just made some thing of whatever random shit was left in the fridge. Today it was tofu, pasta, veggie dogs, um, some spices, and some honey garlic sauce. Just to put random shit on it. Random stoner, veggie brunch, with some toast. 
put it on my toast. I also just remember I have liverwurst in the fridge and I kind of want it. Mmm, toast. <laughs> Here comes the cat. No, this is not for you. Bro. Okay, so I'm gonna take this off now. Here we go. So, moving along to how the Grinch stole Christmas. See, I knew that's why you were coming over here, you jackass. So, this is a 1966 American animated television special. Directed and co-produced by Chuck Jones. Best known for his work on the Looney Tunes, Merry Melodies series of shorts. So, you may kind of recognize that animation style from, like, Bugs Bunny and stuff. The obviously based on the Dr. Seuss book. I was just doing a little quick quick deep dive on Dr. Seuss really quick. Sorry about that, guys. The story, as we all know, follows the Grinch. Once again, we we're really following the villain outcast. Well, we talked about the origin story of the, you know, it's it's the it's the misfit, the outcast from society. In this case, we get a true like villain origin story here. We've got the Grinch narrated, of course, and voiced by Boris Karloff. The Grinch's number one raison d'etre is to ruin Christmas for the town of Whoville. And he's been sitting on this for, for several years. He has hated Christmas forever, since the time he was born. Um... He has just he just sees as he watches everyone in Whoville enjoying themselves, doing all their festive Christmas stuff, and he really hates their he just he lives in this um in this cave that is way up on top of a tall mountain just above the village. Um he lives with a, his dog Max and and just plots about how to ruin Christmas for these people for, for his entire life. Um, now, there was a movie that came out recently with, of course, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey can do no wrong. Great, great fucking casting choice. Absolutely fantastic. I love him as the Grinch. He's, he's fucking hilarious. They get in, they, they create a little bit more of the of the origins story, the villain backstory for the Grinch, so that there's a little bit more of a reasoning as to why he hates Christmas, which is what they've kind of been doing in recent years with, you know, sympathizing with the villain has become a very popular um, plot point in movies and and redoings and, and sort of like origin story movies for people. So... It's a, it's a little insertion that they do, but they don't really go into it in the book. They kind of just posture the Grinch as this monster who just hates Christmas. That's just how he's always been. And partly might have to do with his medical condition of having a heart that's two sizes too small. Therefore, he is physically incapable of loving Christmas. We're, who's to say? 
So he, one day, one year around Christmas, he decides that this is the year. This is the year that he's going to fuck shit up. So he decides to take the form of Santa Claus, who in, in this Dr. Seuss universe of this fictional town of Whoville, Santa still does exist. So he finds a Santa suit. He disguises his dog Max as a reindeer by tying a single stick to his head. He doesn't even have two horns. He just has one. He then does a reverse Uno card Santa Claus visit where he takes all the gifts, ruins their house. Then once he gets and he he destroys all of their religious iconography and, and festive decorations and all their all their ornaments and shit, their, their big tree and all that. That's his whole plan. And then once he is done, he's just going to destroy the gifts. And Christmas will be otherwise ruined. He manages to pull this off. He does it. The only person who ends up seeing him is one little girl, Cindy Luhu. And that's the only kid who wakes up and sees him. And so he he manages to say some shit to her and then leave. And then he gets back up to his his hood, to his crib, with the toys. Then, all of a sudden, he realizes that everyone in Whoville, even though they, they, they have nothing now, uh, they have no gifts and all their decorations have been destroyed and everything, they still have the tree that in the middle of town that's standing. So they've all gathered around it in a circle and they sing their Christmas song. They sing Welcome Christmas Day. This is so heartwarming to the Grinch. Realizes that even though he tried to take away all of their material possessions and he thought that that's all that they cared about was, you know, going to buy things and make lots of noise and give each other meaningless trinkets he realizes that the true meaning of Christmas is that even though they now have nothing material of value, they still have each other. And so this then causes the Grinch's heart to experience a physical medical miracle of enlargement. So in addition to the Grinch having the realization that he has seen the, the community band together in a time of crisis and terrible circumstance, to still have a good Christmas, even though they have nothing. He then has his heart grow three sizes. So I'm guessing, so two sizes to back to normal size, because he, his heart was two sizes too small, and then it grows three sizes so that it is technically now enlarged. So I'm not really, I'm not really sure if that's healthy or not. Um, I don't know if anyone in Whoville is a doctor how isolated this community is, but, um, he might, he might want to see a doctor about that. Cause I don't think that, I don't think that adds up, but anyway, <laughs> we're again, we're just going to ignore that part. The, the miracle of love is, is going to just make us ignore all of that medical fuckery that I just talked about. Okay. So the then decides to bring the sleigh that he took back. He, returns the presents and all the other belongings to the Who's in Whoville. And then he joins in the Christmas celebrations with them. And and Max gets the first slice of roast beast, which is cute. 
and poor Max getting dragged into doing this the entire time. Getting dragged into doing this with the Grinch. Just an un- unwitting participant and accessory to his crimes. It's poor Doggo. He-, he, went- he went through it all. He went to hell and back. And in the end, he, he got to enjoy some roast beast, so that was nice. I like I like when doggos are in stories and when good things happen to, to animals. I guess technically the Grinch is an animal. Is he? He's not like they don't, they don't. Again, it's Dr. Seuss. He's not really like any particular species of animal or or possibly a human human non human hybrid. Because he's like humanized, but he's clearly not a who who I would cons- I guess I would consider to be a human. The human type, whatever species of people that live in this who world. But again, they believe in Santa Claus, who, as we know, is a human man. So I'm assu- I'm just assuming they're human. And then the Grinch is just a, a creature. I don't know if they used to be human and maybe they, uh, like, like, didn't cut their hair. So it, like, grew. Or maybe they had one of those, like, things like at the freak show where it's, like, somebody completely covered in hair as, like, a, a body condition, maybe to go along with the, the heart dwarfism. He had, a, he just was, like, covered in hair. And then, I don't know, maybe why, I don't know why it was greed. Maybe he tried to diet. Maybe, maybe it was because of his diet. I Who's to say? But it, he has green hair. Maybe because of living up on the mountain and him not having a lot of oxygen. Maybe that's why his heart isn't, isn't big. I, I don't know. There, there's, there's so many, like, so I have so many questions now thinking about this now. It's making me upset. So yeah, anyway, there's a lot of unanswered questions with the Grinch. I think the Grinch is just again sort of a metaphor for hating for hating love. A, a met, not not so, not even just so much a metaphor for being anti-Christmas, but what what Christmas is supposed to represent. So not just the material things, but the the exchanging, the the getting together with people. The participating in in activities together, sharing a meal, seeing seeing other people's joy when you are nice to them and you give them presents and you you go skating with them and you and, and everything, um, being able to like let loose and have fun and not be so serious about your work and your school and all the obligations that you have in life and and could just have a good time. So he's against all of those things. And possibly because he was never included in them, possibly because he was never part of the community in the, in the first place. So he just doesn't understand it. He just doesn't like what he doesn't understand. And the who's the who's welcome him in. It's shown that they, they don't really see it the same way, right? Like if he's coming in as an outsider and especially someone who doesn't look like them and, not only that, but who was stolen from them and basically had a vendetta against them to ruin their lives in a very specific way on a very specific day. And they still don't, don't judge him and they don't throw him in jail and they don't take revenge. They, they welcome him in and they let him be a part of their life. And that's a big thing of something that Jesus probably would have done and that a lot of people probably w- wouldn't do in real life. Because again, if the reason for the season is Jesus, then are we doing what he would have done? Like, if, obviously he was still a baby at this time, so he wouldn't really have done anything. But 
the idea of Jesus being born is that that was the beginning of the lessons of Jesus and Mary being turned away by an innkeeper. So they had to go into the stable and even through all that adversity, they have a child and then automatically there's people coming and saying like, we're giving you gifts. We're giving you all this stuff to just a child because that's how important this child is in making the world realize how important it is to be a good person to the point where he would give his own life. And without being that desperate and serious, like you don't have to give your own life, but would you, would you give the shirt off your back? Would you give a hot meal? Would you give, would you give money? Would you give time? Would you look past your prejudice? Would you look past your fear? Would you ignore what society tells you to do because they teach you that this person's a certain way so you shouldn't associate with them? Because, yeah, it doesn't really explain the Grinch's origin story. We don't really know. But they don't assume and they don't really ask any invasive questions in this case. They, they just welcome him in. They, I guess they realize like somebody that would do something that horrible must need the most love, you know? And sometimes, sometimes when you take a chance on people, it backfires for sure. Sometimes they do end up being exactly what you feared, but, but a lot of the time people will really surprise you. People will really make you realize that there's a reason people don't just wake up in the morning and start hating Christmas and hating people that celebrate it. Right. There's a whole or, or whatever, any other religion, right? Like imagine if it was any other religion, right? Like you're trying to ruin, it's the same thing, right? Is your religion based in, in the material and in appearances, or is it based in the true teachings of what your religion is? And people will read the Grinch and say, oh, that's so nice, but they would never do that shit in real life. So it's a good example of not only making do with what you have because the strength in your relationships and in your ability to, to love one another is stronger than just stuff. But letting that love extend past your bubble and extend to, again, a complete stranger who has wronged you in the hopes that them seeing your compassion will turn them around. And in this case, it works. You know, that's that's not really something that we, I think, practice in real life, though, a lot of the time. Because we're, we're told to only do it in certain cases with certain people. I think at this time of year you got to really remember that yeah you can you can see somebody's actions and and use whatever uh, opinions and and things that you've decided in the past are true about others to to i guess make whatever opinions or judgments you need to in the moment but then there's a way to move past that and say you know what there's a very strong possibility that that could have been me or that that very much could be me or somebody I know. 
and you know, the, they recognize the Grinch is coming from somewhere where he's been heavily isolated, has had no contact with anyone other than his dog, and has has no community to support him. No, probably no clothes. Like, he doesn't actually wear clothes until he puts the Santa suit on. He's sort of like a green, like sort of like a green Yeti. Um... I'm just realizing I didn't really talk much about the abominable snowman in Rudolph when, uh, when I talked about it and, or, or, um, what's his face? Uh, Yukon Cornelius, um, the fucking Bumble, but yeah, it's the same thing with the Bumble, right? So like the Bumble, I mean, th- that, that situation is a little bit different. Like they have to pull his teeth out in order to, you know, I guess tame and subdue him, but they don't like kill the Bumble. They do, they 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 give him a job as as the the Christmas tree topper guy who puts the the star on the tree so that they don't have to use the ladder and like they give him a they give him a job so you know like everybody lives and is happy in the Rudolph universe like clearly the abominable snowman is like gonna attack people because he's a fucking monster. And he lives out in the in the wild, in the cold. He probably, again, can't find food very easily and is isolated. And you're a stranger going into his space. What the fuck do you expect he's going to do to fucking eat you? <laughs> so, but yeah, and so in The Grinch, it's like, this is a, like, not just a an actual, like, monster with, like, an animal brain. This is, like... A monster animal with a human brain who, like, can, can can plot vengeance and, like, ride a sleigh and put clothes on and stuff. So, I consider that a lot more dangerous. A lot more dangerous than the Abominable Snowman. Any day. The most dangerous animal is the human. It's been said. So, yeah, I think that it's it's really interesting to think about these stories of with the message behind it. That's in so many of these Christmas books that are turned turned movies, turned TVs, show movies, whatever. And there's a lot that goes on in terms of like preserving that message of of what Christmas is. So, the last movie we'll be talking about, last show, movie, whatever you want to call it, um, is kind of, in a way, a refreshing departure from all of that. From all of that cliche, repetitive Christmas mess. And we're going to talk about Frosty the Snowman. Yes, we are going to talk about the goat, greatest of all time. Frosty the Snowman, and we're going to talk about, um, first of all, the origin of the snowman, because we do see, you know, snowman coming to life and doing stuff as, like, it's, it's originally referenced back as far as the the 1300s 
And it's kind of been a, kind of a, a, a traditional Christmas activity to make as far back as people can remember. Um, so generally what we call a snowman, they've also obviously been depicted as women, children, animals, whatever. But, you know, your general snowman is going to have, um, you know, made of three large snowballs, uh, maybe some different sizes as you get, you know, the head will be a little bit smaller and then the other two are a little bit bigger. Um, then you're going to accessorize it with some branches for arms, a carrot for a nose, um, a hat and a scarf. Um, the eyes, mouth, and buttons will be made traditionally out of coal. And some people will stick some kind of corn cob pipe or some other accessory next to it, sometimes like a shovel or something, to like make it look like it's doing an activity. And... This has become the typical quintessential way that a snowman looks. Um, it also it's very crucial that the snow has to be packing snow and still have a low melting point so that it will stick to itself enough that you can roll it into a ball and then get to your desired size. And then on top of that, it'll stay along long enough for it not to melt. And then um, this has then, of course, they turned into the popular Frosty the Snowman, which references these traditional accessories. But you can also get it, make like a snow family, um, stuff like that. So basically, um, in the Middle Ages, there was actually references to snow people, snowmen. And um, the first, the earliest known photograph of a snowman was taken in the 1800s. It's in the National Library of Wales. And it's not, it's kind of unclear as to why they were made. There's some, there's some kind of varying accounts of kind of why. Um, some of, some people use them as effigies. Some people kind of um there was a there's a a story of in Brussels in the 1500s they had a snowman festival to kind of hopefully inspire morale of their like starving citizens but they basically just like made snowmen with titties and dicks and stuff in like sex positions <laughs> <laughs> and so then of course it made its way to North America um and there's also um, a story about the Schenectady Massacre of 1690. This was an attack in the English province of New York in 1690 by French soldiers accompanied by Allied Mohawk and Algonquin warriors. And they claim that the reason that it was taken was because the people that were supposed to be guarding it uh, built two snowmen to stand in their place while they fucked off, and so nobody alerted anybody to them coming, which is kind of interesting. I didn't didn't know that. They they fucked off to the pub apparently. So yeah, um, you about to lose your job, 
<laughs> both of you about to lose your jobs. So um, then, of course, we have snowmen. Um, you know, they're pretty much all in, in your typical um, things. Like they built they built a snowman in the Peanuts um, character in the comic strip, I believe. And um, they can't build a snowman because they don't have government permits or something like that. Um, There is also, uh, I referenced before, the the book slash movie The Snowman. Um, There's also um, Jack Frost, uh, in which a serial killer is turned into a snowman. Um, There's also a separate movie called Jack Frost with the one with Michael Keaton in it, where he wakes up after a car accident as a snowman. Just think it's really weird that they're both named the same thing came out like within a year of each other um, and have almost the same premise, but just one is more murdery. (laughs) Um, And uh, Calvin and Hobbes um, has very many references to snowmen. Uh, Calvin and Hobbes was one of my favorite um, comic books, comic books, comic strips. They were always in like a book when I read them. Like I knew they were in the paper, but like, I remember that I had at one point, like every single, I think at one point, like almost every single Calvin and Hobbes com and Foxtrot too. Every single one of those I had. Um, the snowman is also, um, a fairy tale by Hans Christian Andersen. Um, R.L. Stein had a goosebump story called Beware the Snowman. And, um, of course the, most famous one recently, which was Olaf from Frozen. Um, there's, a, of course, the song, Do You Want to Build a Snowman, as well as Olaf's song about wanting to see summer and stuff like that. And um, yeah, so not just Frosty the Snowman, but of, of course, because of the cartoon and the song, that is going to be the most um, iconic fro- uh, snowman that we know of. Now, I was thinking recently, is Frosty the Snowman really a snowman? Can a, and I actually I was just thinking about um, Animal Crossing because I think there is a, in the winter, if I logged into the game right now, you can go, um, now, once there's snow on the ground in your, on your island, little balls will appear on the ground that your character can walk up to and will start pushing them. And then as they roll, they get bigger and bigger you only have to build the snowman with two layers. Um, I guess they realized that making it with three just wasn't like logistically going to work. So they, once you build the snowman with like just the exact right head, that's like just the right amount of being that much smaller than the, than the base. And it's actually a lot harder to do than I thought. Um, Then the snow person they call it snowman, but they also call it snow. They call it a snow boy is what they call it. Actually, they call it a snow boy. And then they also call it a snow person or snow people. So they have the snow boy, you know, congratulate you on your work. And, um, then they give you a snowflake or something. And then you use the snowflakes to build different things to craft items in the game, essentially. So the reason that you do it is to get to, to get crafting items. And I think there's like an achievement of if you build a certain number, you get like a achievement points. But anyway, um, so yeah, that's another snowman reference, but 
what I thought is going because when they're calling it snow people, um, are they really snow men? Could they even be snow women? Like snow doesn't have a gender. So we're assigning a gender to snow now. They say they say trans people are the problem, but we literally cishets literally designed assigned a gender to snow is what happened. And so when you think about it, like you again, you've just put some some clothing on it that even may or may not be sexually specific to to a gender or or anything, but it's it's we're still calling it a snowman, um, and then I don't know how do we make it a snow woman? Like we we sculpt some snow tits on it, or, or we'll put like I don't know some eyelashes on it or something. So that's why it's kind of like when I think about it, is Frosty the Snowman even really a man? He shouldn't even be alive, let alone have a gender. <laughs> is Frosty trans? Is is he a gender? I don't know. He's a, he was assigned male at birth. Let's let's just go with that. But anyway, um, the the idea of Frosty the Snowman. Um, I liked that this movie didn't really reference anything, you know, secretly Christian. Um, it didn't really reference any of the the normal stuff that the 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 other movies reference in terms of having all the same things. You know what I mean. And it, I also like that it, it included the element of magic that wasn't related to Santa Claus. It was it was kind of like not related to him really whatsoever. And so you kind of just have like non-Christian, like occult <laughs> um, references, and that's influencing this cartoon, which is great. And it just happens to be in the form of this magical hat. So we know from, you know, the, I guess, commercial magician uh, stage performance, the top hat has be- has very strong ties to magic, um, you know, like pulling things out of the hat and things like that, or like putting it on your head and then something will appear under it. So in this case, this hat is like a magical item. It's been infused with, I don't know who infused it. Uh, was it God or Satan or or some powerful witch or wizard i'm gonna go back and look into it because i feel like the hat belongs to somebody else who wasn't like the nicest guy and then it ends up on frosty somehow i I can't it's a discarded magic top hat right and this is also rankin and bass but it's not stop motion it's just a normal um it's a normal cartoon um so let me go into the let me go into the wiki here. So basically, the kids build Frosty, um, headed by a young girl named Karen, uh, who kind of looks like a <laughs> kind of looks like a Karen, but clearly she's just a child. So it was just a name, okay? Back then, it was just a name. That's not what we used to call people who were massive pains in the ass for no reason. To um, get discounts. <laughs> so, um, it was based on the song by Walter E. Rollins and Steve Nelson. Uh, this song was recorded. Oh, 
Cool. I didn't know that. Um, so I didn't know that either. So Frosty the Snowman, the, the guys who wrote this, was recorded by Gene Autry, who's a very famous country singer, who was part of also um, a group called the Cass County Boys. It was later recorded by Jimmy Durante, who I believe did one of the voices for the movie. Let me just go back. Ah, shit. I went past it too far. One second. One minute. Ah, oh, there it is. Okay. And, um... That's weird. I didn't click on that. I just clicked on a random Rotten Tomatoes thing that was on there, and I didn't mean to click on that. There we go. Um... Oh, it's still on the song. Hold on, let me go. No, that's not what I wanted to click on. OMG. What is happening right now? Oh, I see. I, there's a wiki entry for the song and one for the show, and I clicked on the wrong one. I see. Okay. So yeah, apparently Gene Autry recorded the original version of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And then, because of the success of that, then they ended up recording Frosty the Snowman. So Frosty the Snowman also came out in 1969. And so again, that like golden age in the 60s of all the top tier Christmas content in the form of the kids cartoons seems to have been the 60s. Clearly fell off after that. So they also had um, Rankin and Bass, the, the animation style they wanted to kind of make it look like a, a Christmas card, but like modernized. So they worked with, um, with uh, people that worked with Hanna-Barbera. Um, they worked with um, Paul Coker Jr., who was a greeting card and Mad Magazine artist. And uh, they did like the character background drawings. And then the animation was produced by Mushi Production uh, with... Um, Yusaku Steve Nakagawa and Osamu Dezaki, who actually went uncredited, but they were the production team that that was partly the Hanna Barbera reference there. And Durante, uh, when they released the song, uh, he had slightly different lyrics, and then he re-recorded the song for this TV special. And um, basically. Uh, so yes, yeah, so, so it's Christmas Eve, and there's a magician who um, you think is just like, uh, you know, your party tricks, like a kid's magician, right? He goes by the name of Professor Hinkle. I don't know why he's a professor. Um, clear, clearly, man's, man's, has a, man's has a PhD. Um, he's got, a, he's got his, his degree. Um, so he gets basically, um, like roasted by these kids cause he's terrible at magic. And then they're like, like, fuck this, let's go outside and we're going to build a snowman instead, which they named Frosty. Professor Hinkle also has a rabbit named Hocus Pocus. And this rabbit likes to be a bit of a trickster and it, it kind of hops away with his hat. But the hat then gets away from the rabbit. It gets blown away. And all of a sudden, Miss Karen sees it, picks it up, put it on his head. And Frosty, they didn't realize, was that Professor Hinkle was summoning the, the powers of the dark side 
that hat has some dark magic in it and it or i don't know like the soul of a of a long past person was trapped in it or some kind of curse i don't know maybe it's like a a, uh i don't know (coughs) excuse me the hats like it's like a ratatouille situation where like he needs to have the hat on and it like tries to tell him how to do the magic I don't know. Maybe there's a rat under there doing, maybe Hocus Pocus is under there doing some shit. I don't know. But anyway, it's real magic this time. And he manages to bring Frosty to life. Professor Hinkle acts really suspicious about this, though. He sees this happen. He sees him come to life. He hears him say, happy fucking birthday. And then he immediately takes the hat back. And denies seeing anything that just happened. So. Hocus Pocus wants to watch the world burn, apparently. He does not. Hocus Pocus does not like Professor Hinkle. I can't I can't remember if Hocus Pocus is a boy or a girl bunny. And I, I doesn't really say here. Um, but anyway. So Hocus Pocus wants Wants to see some real magic for a change instead of this hack and his party tricks. So Hocus Pocus switches the hat with something else and brings it back to the kids and Frosty comes back to life again. Frosty saying happy birthday instead of what you're, I guess, you're expecting Merry Christmas. Um, But him him just immediately, his first words are happy birthday. So again, like, (coughs) he's aware of the concept of his own birth. But it's just the first thing he can think to say is just happy birthday. <coughs> and as we learn in the <coughs> And as we learn through the course of the the episode, um Frosty is not so quick on the uptake, but that's kinda what I like about him. He's just like he's just like a beautiful himbo of, of a snowman. No thoughts, head empty, only snow. <laughs> And he just, he just lives for hanging out with the kids and crossing the street. And if a cop tells him to stop, he's like, Frosty said, a cab, fuck the police. And, you know, just have, just having a good time and, and zero fucks given. So he somehow um, gets a broomstick uh, at some point. I don't know if they give him the broomstick, Uh, but they, they go around town doing some shit, but, um, basically, the the party ends when they realize the temperature is going to go up, and even if he's wearing the hat, if the temperature melts him, he won't survive. So, um, I guess that's how, how snow magic works. So, the kids say that they should get him to the North Pole. And so they try to get him on, but they don't have any money because they're children. So they find that the train has a refrigeration car that they can sneak into, like hobos, and they jump into the refrigeration car, and unbeknownst to them, Professor Hinkle is following them to get his hat back because he figured out it's gone, and he wants to make sure that the real magic stays hidden and it does not fall into the hands of this powerful young girl and her new snow friend. 
So they get to the North Pole, and as they're going, he realizes that Karen is going to literally freeze. She's going she's gonna to go blue toes, or worse, if she stays in this refrigeration car. So they have to go somewhere to get warm, to get her warmed up. And they're close enough that he thinks that will be it'll be fine. So he gets out and he's Karen's unconscious. And then Hocus Pocus has also been with them this whole time. So Hocus Pocus, who can speak to animals, goes to the Fort Woodland creatures and tries to get them to help build a fire for them so Karen will wake up. Then Frosty sets out to look for Santa Claus. And so Hocus Pocus and Frosty are looking, but then they decide to send Hocus Pocus out to look for Santa instead. Then Professor Hinkle shows up and they have to run away. So they run away and they find a greenhouse. But it's only supposed to be intended for Karen to go inside. Somehow Professor Hinkle uh, gets there before Frosty can leave the greenhouse and he locks them both in. Now, unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, Hocus Pocus finds Santa somehow because Hocus Pocus really is the protagonist of this film. Um, this this rabbit, this rabbit's the reason that pr- probably that Professor Hinkle has that magic hat. Probably the reason, like, I, I'm get, like, you know, the animal familiar, but like, the student has surpassed the master. The master was never the master. <laughs> the, the teacher, I guess. The Well, I mean, Hocus Pocus is kind of owned by Professor Hingle, but it's very clear who's who's running the show here. The Not the master, the, the pet, the, the perf- real performer, the, the real owner of the magic is Hocus. So Hocus has not only... somehow probably gotten Hinkle into possession of this hat, which they probably very strongly regret now. But they end up deciding to, you know, mess with the timeline a bit, give the hat to children to animate a snowman and hope it goes well, which luckily it does. He doesn't kill anyone accidentally or intentionally and is actually a pretty chill dude. And then... He tries to save a child, and Hocus Pocus follows them to make sure this happens. Well, to save both Frosty and then, I guess, the child. Because initially, they're going for Frosty. Um, I guess he just hates Professor Hinkle that much that he needs to go with them and protect both Frosty, Karen, and, of course, the most important asset, the hat. So then, um, he finds Santa. They find Santa. I'm still not sure if Hocus... That doesn't matter. Uh, by the time Hocus leads into the greenhouse, Frosty has already men- melted, unfortunately. Um, but Santa explains that because Frosty is made of Christmas snow, they will return every winter. Because that, that, that makes sense. It's going to be the exact same snow. <laughs> it's an, and, or something about it specifically being Christmas snow that makes it special. So then we've got, of course, Professor Hinkle here to ruin it everything. 
And just as before he ruins everything, there is a, a gust of wind, like special Christmas wind as well. There, apparently there's special Christmas wind too. It comes in and it revives Frosty and then like back into a snowman. Not not a not a fully sentient snowman, but just like enough that he is a snowman again. And then just as they're about to put the hat back on, um, Hinkle comes in to steal it. However, Santa threatens him that he will never get another Christmas present if he if he doesn't let them keep the hat. So he um, fairly turns into a little bitch and runs off because he's so scared of Santa Claus and the threat of not getting any presents that he basically just leaves and starts working on his apology letter and asking for a new hat. And so then um, Santa um gets a hat back on his head and frosty's back they get everybody back home they take frost he takes frosty back with him to the north pole and they have a pint and wait for all this to blow over <laughs> and that's the end of the movie so um then i i don't know i guess i don't know how he's supposed he's supposed to um, so basically, uh, at the end, Frosty has this parade with the children in the town at the end. I guess that's when he comes back the next year, or maybe that was a, a it's a flashback to what they did during in the beginning of the, of the show. Jimmy Durante, who is also the narrator, uh, start, they start to do the song and all that. And, uh, Professor Hinkle has his new hat. Hocus is there. Um, then after they like party through the streets, um and do winter carnival he jumped back in the sleigh and he's like uh i'll be back on christmas day and then he fly away so like what's not to love it's just a nice wholesome story there's not really any like ethical moral relativism in it at all <laughs> there isn't any mention of christmas like that has like an overt Christian message. Santa's in it, yes. Um, but he's not like the focus. The hat, the magic hat has come from somewhere else, not Santa, we're assuming. Or, I don't know, is this a deal Santa made with Hinkle? And now he's like changing the terms of the deal? Where he was like, I don't know. Santa Santa knows everything, right? Like, he sees you when you're sleeping, and he knows when you're awake, so he must know where Hinkle got that hat, and the fucked up shit he prob- he's probably done with it. He probably should have been giving him- he probably shouldn't have been giving him presents for a while now. I saw you murder a man, but a snowman? That's just taking it too far. I don't know. Santa just has like a personal stake in it because because he just loves snow that much. Santa's in love with Frosty. And you know what? I ship it. I do. I think they'd be cute together. I think that would be absolutely adorable. So... I also, yeah, I really like the sort of the magical 
like witchy element to it that kind of gets gets put in there. Because not only do we really not talk about like like Santa shows up, but he doesn't really like do anything in terms of like influencing the story really with his powers. Like he shows up in his sleigh with the reindeer and they fly off, but like that's kind of his power stays out really for the most part. It stays out of for the most part the realm of the story. The magic comes from somewhere else. This is kind of interesting. Yeah, I just love Frosty. Just, just an anarchist. Kind of like gives a little bit of Pied Piper energy, like leading the children through the streets. I don't know. And Jackie Vernon did the voice of Frosty. And the sequel, Frosty's Winter Wonderland, which I haven't watched and it probably sucks, so I probably won't be watching it. He's actually known as the King of Deadpan. His, based on his delivery style, which was interesting. Um... And he was actually discovered in Canada while performing stand-up at a local nightclub in Windsor, Ontario. Interesting. He's got kind of um, X-rated style jokes, actually. Um, and like more more adult stuff. So, despite his reputation, he somehow managed to get this job. That's kind of funny. Kind of like a kind of like a Bob Saget situation. <laughs> and I always thought that it was the other way around, but apparently, yeah, Bob Saget was always like a raunchy comedian. And so when he started doing Full House, it was like that playing that character was like such a, a it's like night and day, right? So. It's kind of funny that um, that was the case. Uh, he also did a movie called Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July. So they really they really tried to milk that Frosty the Snowman franchise for all it was worth. But I don't recall ever watching either of those. And, and again, it's probably not going to happen. So interesting. Interesting um, information about the voice actors. And... Uh, it it really had only the the two songs, uh, well, three songs I guess. So one foot, uh, put one foot in front of the other. Santa Claus is coming to town. Uh, oh, there's another song called "Be Prepared to Pay," and um, of course, Frosty the Snowman. So we didn't really get a lot of songs out of that one, <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, and our, you know what? Our work had a few frosty things that um, have done pretty well. Yeah, it's it's a good. Uh, honestly, I think that would I would say that's one of the most um, kind of uh, uh, 
the I guess sort of like the one of the less traditional and like I guess a bit more of a um yeah I think it's a bit more of just it does, again doesn't really have any real message or meaning behind it it's just like an adventure story about Frosty uh I don't know it's like kind of it's a bit morbid I guess like the whole the whole thing is about preventing Frosty from dying I mean I guess like technically he isn't dead he he's again he he's made of snow so if the snow comes back you just build another snowman and put it on his head is that going to be the same Frosty like that's why I'm thinking that it's it's something to do with the with a person like inside the hat like their soul or something because if it's going to be the same person every single time you put the hat on them, right? Like, is, is Frosty, like, just within all snow? Like, are there other different versions of men and women and whatever that if you used a different hat or, or used snow from a different place, excuse me, or used snow from a different place that you would have a different result? Because they're like... You're telling me that this this one hat results in this one snowman becoming this one very specific snowman that's alive. And of course, the, they're, the, it's named Frosty because the kids named it that. But like, what's the snowman's real name? Is it like the name of whoever's soul inhabited their body? Is it some weird like name in some ancient tongue that we can't even talk and if we said it out loud we'd like go insane something like that so like I again I have so many questions when you think about this too critically as an adult it makes you mad and I really shouldn't be thinking about it that way um I really should just be relaxing and enjoying the cartoon but the shit makes no sense. And shout out to Hocus Pocus as a as a familiar with just a a te terrible excuse for a human companion. I really hope Hocus st didn't stay with with Hinkle. And, um, I really hope that, that they're out there living a better life now. Maybe it's like, a Disney character instead. Or, um. Doing like a like a one of those characters that the princess sings to, and they all like show up. That was kind of what what they were doing in the movie, though. Like they were the princess; they were going to the woodland animals themselves and saying, "Yo, build this fire! I know you can do it! I believe in you." And the animals just magically had the proper amount of wood and kindling and. Something to light the fire with. That's some fucking flint stone or something. Or a lighter that they stole from a another lost person in the woods. Or, or matches. Whatever. And 
they they made it happen. Was Hocus Pocus also a person trapped in an animal body? These are things that I need to know. I'm asking the real questions here, okay? These are the important questions. Never thought about that shit. And then again, the rules of magic. I guess there's sort of a general proper structure of how the hat works. But like I said before, factoring in all the different other properties like how snow works. Whether or not Santa is a real person. And yeah, like, is his magic the same as the hat magic? Like... I, I explain. I need explanation, please. So, yeah. I want to look into some, maybe some theories about Frosty. Because I, I know the internet is going to have this. And I think it's going to make me laugh. Some fan, Frosty fan theories. Um, was Frosty the snowman actually an evil demon? One fan theory says yes. Um, there was a critique on the clothing choice of the children that apparently they were wearing shorts and not full pants. Those babies ain't got no clothes on. Where are their pants? You sent them out in shorts? Or I don't know the animators just didn't want to draw full pants, I guess. I don't know. But basically, um, there's a few things online and um, talking about how Frosty is evil. Frosty the Snowman is probably a lich. Yep, that sounds. That one sounds about right. <laughs> Gonna fix that one. Just <laughs> fucking nerds. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> um. What if this joyful fella is? This is from Kotaku. Um, just so you guys know, I'm. It's for and it's referencing a thread on the um, Dungeons and Dragons Reddit forum. Uh, what if what if this joyful fella is actually an undead wizard of immense power? We investigate. The old top hat is a phylactery. When placed upon a suitable snow body, it allows the lich spirit Frosty to possess his frozen host. He charmed the... So he's an ice lich? That's cool. It's like... Is that like some game... That sounds like some Game of Thrones White Walker shit. He charmed the children to be his thralls and seeking to sow as much chaos before his finite time expires. He torments the people of the village with his vile broomstick staff. Thumpity thump thump is the sound of bodies hitting the ground. <laughs> as their life forces are trained into the aforementioned phylactery feeling another chance at winter destruction before the seasons change anew. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk! <laughs> okay, I did not regret clicking on this. <laughs> oh my god. <coughs> I'm fucking dead. So, um... While it is generally understood to be a cheerful tale about a snowman, the children who love him and his timely death can obviously be interpreted as the machinations of a soul trapped in a phylactery that spreads ill will and sadness throughout the land. Before, sated with the souls of the vanquished, he retreats back into his phylactery. 
We're specifically talking about Dungeons and Dragons liches. In the monster manual for the 5th edition of D&D, they are described as the remains of great wizards who embrace undeath as a way of preserving themselves. Scheming and insane, the book continues, they hunger for the long-forgotten knowledge and the most terrible secrets. Of course, turning into a lich is hard work. It takes a high-level magic user and a lot of complicated components, the most important of which is the phylactery. Common undead like skeletons or zombies might be mere bones, rags, and flesh animated by dark energies. Liches are more complicated. They are able to retain the knowledge that they had in life because they trap their own soul in the phylactery. Okay, so it's supporting the soul trapped in the hat theory. So the hat found a human enough like body and said, eh, close enough, and then it went into the snow body and was taken over and became a lich, an ice lich, a snow lich. Frosty the snow lich! (laughs) And the hat trapped his soul. I don't know, fuck. Um, And um, the phylactery can be sometimes an amulet... I thought it was, um, I thought it was from that one game. I thought it was, like, when they take your blood and put it in, like, a vial or something. I forget forget what game that was. Um, but yeah. I want to say it was, um, I can't remember. Fuck. Anyway, um, it could also take the form of any item possessing an interior space into which arcane sigils of naming, binding, immortality, and dark magic are scribed in silver. So, if you had some, like, maybe the inside of the hat or, like, the top of the hat we can't see has some, like, cool, like, sigils and, like, words and, like, spells and shit on it. Um, if more liches thought of it, I am positive that they would have top hats. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, so basically, um... As we mentioned before, so, like, when a lot of times in history, snowmen were, snow people were built um, because they were used as, like, effigies or they would, like, be dressed up to impersonate people that other people didn't like and wanted to make fun of. Um, They, uh, as I mentioned in the one case, they, they just, they molded the snow people into, like, pornographic stuff, so that they could uh, screw over the town for making them do something when, like, they wouldn't even give them anything to eat or money or anything. So they're saying, like, so snowmen show up when things are bad. The story is that, basically, we create snowmen when we're feeling bad about society. What if the snowmen bring the tough times with them? Oh, shit. So somebody, of course, mocked up a Frosty the Snow Lich stat sheet. You, there's a link that you can click on in the article where it takes you to the stat sheet, in case you're wondering. Um, <laughs> and also, a story hook, backstory potentially for if you were to ever play this character, which I totally want to now. And it says, uh, Frosty's arch-rival, the Saint of Klaus, leader of the Holy Order of Giving, as the hook 
to stop the serendipitous sullying of seasons. That sounds hilarious. And if you did like an all holiday themed D&D game, I think that's that would be so funny. Oh my god, there's also one on here where it's about a child molester. I mean, I did say Pied Piper, which also gives very pedo vibes. Um, I did mention that before. So, um, it's basically that all they're going on is he's leading a bunch of children away, and he's stopped by a police officer, and he doesn't listen to him. Um, and... I don't know. The thumpity thump thump thing's part of it as well. Oh god. Well, it's a it's a thing from the sixties. It's like it's very possible there was some pedo shit happening, but I don't think it's inherently based on a pedophile. Um, I love that there's one that's like conspiracy theories. That's something on TikTok. Um, Frosty Snowman was a wizard. What about Hocus Pocus? Nobody's talking about the rabbit. Frosty Snowman, Hocus Pocus. That's what I want to talk about. Frosty Snowman, Hocus Pocus. Here we go. So, um... Anyone else notice this rabbit? I mean, I know it's it's an albino rabbit, so it's got pink eyes. But, you know, this rabbit just could be high as fuck. To deal to be dealing with Professor Hinkle all the time. That rabbit had some lettuce. Not the normal kind. Sums up with this, as I said, with this rabbit too. It's you know, it's walking on its hind legs. It can communicate with both humans and animals. Um and Hocus is very crucial in making sure that that hat gets back on Frosty's head. So Hocus seems to have some kind of vested interest in Frosty being alive. So is is Hocus Pocus Hinkle's familiar or was he was Hocus Pocus the familiar of whoever's trapped in that hat? Very interesting. Or I don't know, did, did Hocus Pocus put a spell on the hat and he just really wants to see if it works because he's the one with the real magic? There's a lot of possibilities here. I'm I'm very interested in figuring out more about Hocus Pocus, I think. Hocus Pocus is a 10. That's hilarious. So one of the often forgotten... (coughs) (coughs) So one of the more often forgotten cartoons, but one of the most important and also the song that goes along with it. Oh, and look, there's my sweater just as I'm scrolling. They're selling it on Amazon. But don't buy it at Amazon. Buy it at Retro Festive 
or a cool store if you can. Don't support Jeffrey Bezos. Happy birthday. And I guess we'll leave it at that. I think that's more than enough deep diving and investigating for me for now. I might do a little bit behind the scenes now that I am intrigued by some of these fan theories. I think that, um, of course, might be reading a little bit too much into it, but maybe I just wasn't reading into it enough. Maybe I just smoked too much of this and now I'm all paranoid and looking to look into fan conspiracy theories. I love it. I love it. Dolly loves it. She loves it. And I love Christmas. Yep, I said it. So I will leave you with that for now, guys. You can go and decide on what to watch this evening. Those are just some of the classics. Uh, one and one or two new ones. Those are the ones I kind of grew up with. Just some that I've watched recently that I really liked. And that really, you know, resonate with me. So if you have any other um, ones that are special to you, I hope that you enjoy watching with those you love this time of year very soon. And so we're going to be signing off again for another week. Um, I guess we'll end this off with a, me putting the hat on. I'll send you off with a light show, since, especially since we don't have the treat. I'm glad that I I managed to get that in the video before see, it stopped working. I hope everybody plays nice out in the in public while you're getting all your Christmasing done before you Christmas. Yo dog, I heard you like Christmas. So I did some Christmasing before Christmas so you can Christmas while you Christmas. And don't forget to stay happy, stay high, high in the sky. Don't forget to listen to some good music, eat some good food, hang out with your friends and family. Don't work too hard out there, guys. It would help if I turn the mic the right way so that you all heard what I'm saying. Because I just really want to tell you all that the most important thing this time of year is to not be stressed, always blessed, and make sure that you keep the true spirit of Christmas in your heart. To always be giving, Let's try to be peaceful, and do your best to help others and make some good thoughtful plans for your new year. So with that being said, I'm going to take it to the outro and I hope that you will all tune in next week for another episode of Fantasy Tavern Holiday Edition.
Bye. Bye.